I'm Jacob Tender. I am Mike Kamate. Welcome back to Bantha Fodder. This is episode 36. And today we are talking about Duel of the Fates. I love this song, dude. It's my favorite song in all of Star Wars. But is it your favorite script? Is that what we're talking about today? Yeah, today we're talking about the abandoned Colin Trevorrow script for Episode Nine, Duel of the Fates. I mean, I was really dissecting the John Williams piece, Duel of the Fates, for this entire week when you told me you wanted to do an episode on this. And I guess all that research and analysis is now out the window. Yeah, this will be a short episode if we're talking about music theory because I know absolutely nothing about it. <laughs> but let's let's set the record straight. It was actually you who wanted to do an episode on this script, which is, is funny because generally it's me who's convincing you to read something. So you actually got me to read this entire script. And it was, it was a quick read, actually. Uh, I did it in two pieces, but really only took a couple of hours and um yeah really actually kind of in, enjoyed it not as like not saying that i i thought this script was a better movie but it was kind of cool to see um the juxtaposition between what we could have had and what we did get so i'm excited to dig into this and and sort of pick out those differences and and maybe the things that we liked in this script more than we liked in the movie. Just, I guess, a little bit of exposition about the script, though. Um, This is Colin Trevorrow of Jurassic World fame of the Book of Henry. Was that the name of the movie? Yeah, nobody talks about that movie. Okay, well, I mean, that's we should talk about that movie because that's allegedly (laughs) what got him taken off of this film. Although I would have seen Jurassic World and wanted to take him off of this franchise, and that's how I felt when I found it i mean we i don't want to make this a rehash of our rise of skywalker episode but i mean short long story short i was disappointed by rise of skywalker as many were and i blame myself because in my head i mean we have it on the record it's in the podcast you can see the release date on it i said jj abrams should direct the third installment of the sequel trilogy and boy did that blow up in my face in a big old way yes so it is all your fault yeah it is basically all my fault that this happened (laughs) And I'm sorry for everybody who had to experience that, that didn't like it. Um, if you liked The Rise of Skywalker, though, then like that's great. And I'm happy you liked it because it's okay to like a movie, as the guys in We Hate Movies say. And it's also okay to like a script, uh, which I did very much for the most part, I think. Um, I think at the end we'll get into like, you know, is this the better movie? Like right. you kind of already foreshadowed that you don't think it necessarily was. And I will also foreshadow that I had some opinions as well. Just other comments on on, on sort of the the script at large. This is a script by Colin Trevorrow and Derek Connolly, who they're they're sort of screenwriting partners. Ah, okay. Important to notate. Yeah, they've they've done a lot of movies uh, in the past together. Safety Not Guaranteed, Jurassic World, um, Jurassic World sequels. So this is a joint effort between the two of them. The, this particular script is dated 12-16-2016. This has been established as a real script. It's not like a fan script that was mislabeled. Like Trevorrow has commented on Twitter. He's acknowledged the script and acknowledged its authenticity. So I think that was a huge bit of skepticism I had. I remember like when the movie came out, I... You know, I, I turned my best friend, you know, after we saw the movie, it's like, man, I really wonder what this movie could have been. Because I remember 
way back after Last Jedi, there was a story in some publication about Colin Trevorrow and uh, Daisy Ridley at some some event together where Trevorrow told Daisy Ridley how the story was going to play out and what was going to happen to Ray. And she it brought her to tears, allegedly, in the, in the article. I'll look for that article and, and try to get into the show notes. But when I reflected on that after seeing The Rise of Skywalker, I was like, well, what could have brought her to tears? Because I don't know that, that this necessarily would have, you know, the ending that we mm. did get. So now it's really excellent to me. Like, it was a very much a wish fulfilled. Like, as soon as this script got leaked, whenever it did back in 2019, I was very excited and super stoked to see it. It did get leaked out in either late 2019 or early 2020, time is a flat circle and, and nothing makes sense anymore. But yeah, that is true. Is there any idea of, of like where this came from? I mean, I have my suspicions that Trevorrow somehow got this out there. Like, I think he probably wanted this known. Um, there were like whispers for a while of different plot points in his script. And that was all backed up once the script made its way to the internet. I think we may have discussed in the past very briefly the guy who got a copy of the script from somebody and talked about it at length on his YouTube channel, basically, you know, going beat by beat and describing the entire plot. Um, yeah, I, I, I am glad that the full text was released in, you know, in a PDF capacity <laughs> for us to pour over because it's it's cool to add to the Star Wars script collection and cool to actually see what's different so spelling errors and all you know Spe- yeah. <laughs> i highlighted a bunch of spelling errors for no reason As uh, did I. just because i was like this is, a, this is a grown adult with on a word processor this is not a typewriter he's using here you know just yeah. just spell check man um it's not hard <laughs> yeah but again this is probably like a very early script it doesn't have any uh revision notes so it doesn't say you know if this was the first pass or i don't think it's that early I think this was written, you know, probably right until a point he... I think this this script is probably the reason he got booted off the movie. I'm pretty sure this is as revised as it gets. It's a full movie. There's no missing scenes or anything like that. So I, I, I just think that it's most likely been revised a few times. This is just the finished document he delivered to Lucasfilm and Disney. And they were like, this is not the way we wanted to go with this. Or, you know, J.J. really wanted to close this one out. I, I didn't see Book of Henry. I have a feeling it's one of those movies I'd turn on and I'd probably love it. I, I don't know. I haven't seen the movie. Uh, didn't get great reviews across the board. I don't really understand how that movie bombing would necessarily give cause to fire somebody yeah. from a Star Wars movie. I don't think that that is really the case. I don't know how much bearing that really played out on it. Um, but I, I did find a, an article from late last year that said that Colin was fired before the first script was done. And Mm. I don't really know what they mean by done. This is according to Kathleen Kennedy. I'll put the link in the show notes. But this seems like a done script to me, at least as like a draft. This is a full draft. This is not an incomplete movie. Is it an ideal movie? Does it feel like every part of this was fleshed out to its fullest potential? No. And that's why I think it was probably an early draft. But I do think that he finished this first thing. And maybe this wasn't the way that... Lucasfilm wanted to go, and that's the reason why. Maybe it was personality differences. I've heard that about Colin Trevorrow in the past. But I, I don't think it was Book of Henry. I don't think that's the sole reason why he was taken off this film. No, there's there's some other reason, and I doubt we'll ever get the story. For, not until, like, somebody really spills the beans on it. But, yeah, it, it's it's unfortunate. And I, I really I dislike the Jurassic World films, and I really had yeah. a bad time in that theater. And 
the idea of him touching another franchise was just really gross. But then I guess that just goes to show you that maybe there were too many cooks in the kitchen on Jurassic World. Maybe Trevorrow had a good idea for Jurassic World and it got stupid because of the studio. So it's really hard to say who he is on his own as a filmmaker. I mean, safety mm-hmm. not guaranteed. Like, Yeah, great movie. It was a fine script. No, I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, um, it was a fine movie. It was good. Like, I didn't love it, but it was not a terrible film. And so, like, he clearly has some creative vision and knows how to write. Uh, I mean, Connolly and him, at least, if they, mm-hmm. that's what they collaborated on. Um, but that's, that, that's, that's, that's a little background on the script. I don't have a lot more to say on it. Do you? No, I mean, not much that I can remember, right? Like, we, we heard rumblings about this over the course of the production of this film after he got fired, and little things would kind of leak out here and there. But it all sort of came out in a big stream when the YouTuber first got a copy of it and then the rest of the world soon after. So it's uh, it's been a while since it's actually been out, but I think a lot of people actually kind of missed that it dropped or that it leaked out. Um, I think it's kind of what happened with the, the Star Wars thing. Like as soon, like after Rise of Skywalker quote unquote bombed, I think a lot of people turned off from Star Wars. I mean, the pandemic hit as well. So that's another thing to keep in mind. It's true. But but at the same time, you remember how the, the book series that we're really excited about that got pushed. Like, I yeah. think everybody, they just realized it. like, oh, we did a bad thing to Star Wars. Not a bad thing, but we just did an unsatisfying thing to Star Wars and made a lot of people upset. And I think the focus changed, too. I, I think even for those who were still, you know, committed and, and interested in what was going on in Star Wars, Mandalorian came out late last year. So. That's true. A lot of people were really focused on that. And also, you know, the end of Clone Wars was happening and... There were other things going on. Uh, 2019 was a, a pretty big year for Star Wars. So, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm excited to dig into this. Uh, I guess we should probably just kind of go beat for beat and and kind of work our way through it with whatever notes we took. I know we both just read through the PDFs on our uh, respective iOS devices and um, and highlighted things that we thought were interesting. So let's dig in. So I, I this isn't a movie and this isn't a book. This is a script, but we're still going to be spoiling stuff. So if you haven't read the sure. script... <laughs> Um, I would strongly recommend you turn this off if you do not want to have the script that never got made into a movie that was also made into a movie that has not a whole lot to do with what you're about to hear canonically. Uh, if, you, if you're into something like that, don't listen to this uh, and go read it and then come back and see if you agree with us on these things. But yeah, we're going to be spoiling it right now. Yeah. And, and drawing comparisons to the original film, of course. So Yes, or the finished or the, film. The, 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 the finished yeah, film. <laughs> the original film. <laughs> the film. Like, this is the, this film. Is the one Stop. that's supposed to supplant it. <laughs> yeah. So here we go. Our first act in this film script, I'm going to keep calling it a film by accident, just so you know. <laughs> it's a lot better than the first act in the other one, in Rise of Skywalker, to me at least. And why do you say that? From a pacing standpoint? I say it because I just like the teamwork and the cooperation and the idea that everyone's together. Yeah, no, it, it does. It it is it differs from the film in that they are all sort of together, right? Like they, we we have our ensemble cast, they're working on one one goal. They're not spread out across the galaxy on different side missions, uh, like they were in the previous film. The pacing to me felt very different. I think in the movie, it felt very fast. I remember, you know, every time I saw it, like that first act just flies. So much happens. They're just, you know, doing so much. And I think a lot of that is because of the different scenes that we're jumping to very quickly. I do think that this this first act with, you know, this first mission uh, on Kuwait, or is it Kuwait? Kuwait? It's not, 
I don't think it's Kuwait. <laughs> not Kuwait. <laughs> just going to go on uh, a limb in there and say they didn't name a planet Kuwait. Yep. Uh, so the, the Kuwait um, you know, shipyards, basically, this is like a place where, where ships were built, which is pretty cool. And I, I really wish that we could actually see this on screen because I just, you know, I imagine that has to be really cool. The closest you'll get is probably Battlefront 2, like some of those shipyards you see in those those levels. Or um, Jedi Fallen Order as well. I haven't played it yet, but that will be a future episode. So yeah, that's that's actually where I think they are destroying some and maybe putting some ships together. But yeah, that it, that's a pretty cool. The very beginning of that game is very neat. And that's what I sort of pictured here. But this this whole mission where they're, you know, they're trying to take down like this orbital ring, this this docking bay that, you know, is where they're assembling all of these star destroyers. It's a rehash of the same thing that we've seen in Star Wars time and time again. We've got some people that are breaking in. They're going to blow it up from the inside. We're putting the team back together. <laughs> you son of a b- I'm in. Going into this, when you read this and, you know, visualizing it as you would uh, a movie, you're picturing this happening exactly the way that we've seen it on Starkiller Base, on any of the Death Stars. Like, we're getting in, we're getting out, we're going to blow this sucker and we're going to go home, right? And following along, you're like, really, again? <laughs> but then then the the script gets a little meta. Well, I, before you get onto the meta-ness, like, I just want to say, like, it's war. It's a war film. Like it's yeah. sure it's science fantasy, but it's it's a war film. So you have like in war you have like reconnaissance, you have assaults, mm-hmm. and you have assassinations. So I mean, I feel like all of those have pretty much been covered in Star Wars. And I don't know if it's a war film, you're gonna have a war. So I, I don't see the espionage thing as like. Well, no, it's not the it's not war. It's the sabotage. It's like it's this. It's the same thing over and over. It's the same complaint that we had. Sure, like shield generators on Endor. You got the Death Star. You got the Death Star Two. You got you got to get in, get out. Even Rogue One. Up. I like, get it, but like it's that's the same story war. over and over again. You got to yeah, take sure, this that's, thing. That's war, but also this is like a movie, and there are different aspects to war. <laughs> like there are different things that that could be done, right? And like, of course, this is a scrappy rebellion. They have to do what we need they the can action, do. man. We need the action. But the point is, we're used to these tactics that they have, like. As the audience, we already know what to expect to happen here because it's it is expected. Like the 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 rebels or the resistance, they've been doing the same thing for decades now. And what I liked about this first act is that they really address that. Like Admiral Vaughn is basically watching them do this from afar. Like you know, he's he's getting reports or he's watching on screen as they as these you know resistance fighters. Uh, I think it's Poe and Finn uh, are are on this mission, right? Mm-hmm. With Rose as well, uh, who is embedded. I think Ray is there too. No. Well, yeah, Ray Ray comes in. Um, okay. Spoiler. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> so they're they're being watched by Admiral Vaughn, and he's just kind of watching over it, saying the their outdated tactics are pitiful. And I highlighted that because I love that. Like it is meta, but it's so true. Like of course they're going to learn. Like we we think of the Empire or the First Order is this large conglomerate, this empire of of doofuses who can't hit the broadside of a barn. But that's not completely true. Like they do have intelligent people who create strategy it's a huge military force you know it's like massive. somebody's got to know what they're doing there it's just not a bunch of idiots it, it did take them quite a while but eventually they did figure out like oh yeah like this is the thing we should be watching out for these are the places that they would very likely hit let's just keep an eye out on those on on these you know power shafts that are <laughs> prone to exploding 
and yeah, and it worked out for them because they caught them. Uh, it didn't work out for them in the end because, like you mentioned, Ray appears and she's you know disguised as a Tuscan Raider, which I thought was kind of cool, kind of a throwback to Leia Lando in in Jabba's palace, right? Sure, very very Bounty similar Hunter. there. So again, another another tactic that maybe the Empire isn't as familiar with because it didn't happen to them. So yeah, it all of that is very familiar, and it all seems like it's going okay until it doesn't, and then. They steal a Star Destroyer, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Okay, here's here's my thing about this scene, um, and it's not a bad thing. It's the first scene from, from Rise of Skywalker. What was happening? Why? Do you remember why? I don't. I don't remember why Poe was doing those light speed jumps. Where was he trying to get to? What were they holding? They were trying to deliver information? Yeah, there was, there was intel, right? And this is where I, I feel like... I probably should have watched this one more time. I thought I know I this is, enough, we're, but I, we're being I, unfair because <laughs> yeah. I'm being like, oh, I can't even remember. Like, can you remember? It was so bad. Yeah. You can't remember it. But it's really just like, no, I haven't seen it in a year. But honestly, it doesn't stick with you. And also because, again, like that first act went so fast. It did. And but like, I just remember like them Finn and Poe yelling at a guy in the Falcon. And then that guy's head gets cut off later. And they're traveling and doing a whole bunch of light speed jumping that really doesn't make sense in canon and it's i don't know it's just a bunch of weird stuff in that movie and this is like we have an operation we're in we're out some crazy wild stuff happens some quippy dialogue happening some Mm -hmm. jokes some action and then they get a star destroyer and it doesn't it's not like that was their goal and that's what i liked about this scene is that they just end up stealing a star destroyer they improvise And they get to play on Poe being a pilot who can fly anything. The the right. part where Ray's like, oh, I could fly anything, like mimicking Poe, just like mocking him. Like I could see Leia doing it to Han or something like that back in the original trilogy. It was just really, really fun to read. <laughs> and and these this is not just like any Star Destroyer, right? This is like an Eclipse class Star Destroyer, which is, I think like one of the biggest ones that they have <laughs> it's like a massive massive thing they keep making star destroyers bigger and we'll we'll get to that eventually to the 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 the, the pinnacle of big star mm-hmm. destroyers by the end of the script but you know between like the vader super star destroyer the executor um i i would like to see a size comparison of the eclipse versus the dreadnought like i i don't think i've actually seen a comparison of that you know how we've seen those youtube videos in the past that sort of do a size comparison which is cool i love those videos the monster ones are great where they just show yeah. like monsters and king kongs and godzillas from over <laughs> the years and how they compare like i love those videos Ugh, i do want to see how that stack up stacks up because the size of this thing is very important to the events of this script and because we can't actually see it it's very hard to visualize what that's supposed to mean yeah if you're just picturing an interdictor or like just a regular old coke white it's star, not gonna make any star sense. destroyer from rogue <laughs> one it looks nice yeah. but and you're like that's that must be cool to drive but like when you think about one of those things going up against an entire like fleet. essentially the, the the fleet of yeah the entire imperial fleet goes against or first order fleet i should say mm-hmm. goes against this thing at the by the end of the movie and you're just like yeah uh, how is this star destroyer holding up <laughs> <laughs> one note from the actual hijacking of this thing which i i want to highlight and then revisit later in the script mm-hmm. is that uh ray uses some of her you know her newly trained force powers to mind trick the entire crew 
at one time not yeah. not like on the entire ship but everybody on the deck she just does them all in one go which i thought was interesting because later she does a mind trick on one person later on and it takes her three tries <laughs> but i think that's that's the point is that imperial or first order officers and troopers they're are all brainwashed yeah they're weak-minded yeah. they've already yeah. been through these deconditioning things and desensitization to what they're doing i think that's pretty much how the star wars universe justifies the navy existing because i mean luke and biggs were talking about going to the imperial academy in star wars you know like mm -hmm. it it was just a place that people went into the military. It's very American in a way, like view of the military. But at the same time, they decondition you in the First Order and the in the Empire. And beyond the deconditioning and just the kind of like, well, I guess I got nothing else to do in my life, so I'm going to go do this and fly and see the stars. You right. have the idea of just that's where the evil people go, the power-hungry people, the people who want a lot of stuff. Like, you don't see a lot of those greedy, avaricious people in the Republic or the army, uh, the, the whatever, the rebellion. And if you think about it from a bureaucratic point of view, it's not like if you want to become a trucker in our world, uh, you can just go become a trucker. You still have to get your license, right? And right. I think in this universe, during the, the time of the imperial rule, if you wanted to become a pilot in any way, you had to basically train under the Empire. I think if you wanted to get like your license to fly, even like a freighter or something, very likely you had to do some sort of formal training through... Or pay some officer off or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Like there, there's like a formality to it. So even if you know Luke wants to go see the stars, that doesn't necessarily mean that he wants to join the Empire. He just wants to, you know, learn how to fly and get his his creds so that he can you know presumably do whatever he wants to do get off this rock you know yeah okay so that scene happens there's like I, I can't stress this enough there's a lot of really enjoyable stuff in here so if you're on the fence about reading this i would urge you to just to see read some of this dialogue that we're skipping over right now i guess we start to see the 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 romance mm -hmm. uh, it it blossoms later on fully but like they definitely tried to hint that Ray and Poe meeting at the end of The Last Jedi, it was like the start of something. It was not just like a, oh, these people meet in passing and then go off and do separate things. Like these people who had right. never met before but felt like they've known each other forever. They they did connect and they do. And Poe is a Force sensitive from what we've read. And Ray is obviously in tune with the Force. So like they clearly have something to connect on. And I think it's natural that there would be an off-screen romance developing. It's similar to how like, you come back from episode four and into episode five into Empire and you kind of see this flirting happening between Leia and Han and you're just kind of like, at the beginning you you hear like, you know, he's still calling her your worship and all that stuff and right. really ragging on her for the princess stuff. And yeah. by the, you know, midpoint of the movie, Han is kissing Leia creepily and... They really make that comparison overt because we have, you know, Ray and Poe and they're sort of, you know, they have some some banter and some flirty repartee and Leia is watching all of this unfold knowingly, right? Like she's been there. She she knows what's going on and and she sort of brings that to to raise attention like, you know, you got to kind of stay focused and yeah, he's he's cute and all. Um just keep your eye out <laughs> for these these uh these rascals cuz someday your kids are going to murder you on a catwalk. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I think it's sort of a parallel, but also a difference with what we got in the movie, right? Because we, we sort of get that inclination that Finn has some sort of bigger feeling towards Ray 
in the movie. But here they sort of make that more with with Poe. I'm not sure which feels more natural, like or that there has to be any sort of romance at all for this to work. Sure. I think it's okay. It you know, it provides more personal stakes for Ray, who doesn't have anybody, right? Right. So we're sort of giving her more of like a, a personal relationship as an anchor because really all she had before was Han, who she knew for about 24 hours <laughs> and uh like a father yeah and, and finn who you know obviously like they've gone through stuff together and i i think that's where like the decision for the script writer had to be made it's like okay is if we're going to develop something for ray is it going to be with poe who she's gone through all this stuff with and you know maybe they share some sort of force connection and i don't think this this script necessarily eliminates the idea that finn is is Force says sensitive in some way as well. I think that idea is still kind of there, but the focus is definitely much more on Poe and Ray's relationship, which is interesting. It didn't like upset me anyway. Like I think it's fine. Uh, it, this, as we discussed before recording today, I think this entire movie would totally destroy all Raylos. Like they think they're mad. Yeah at the movie they got <laughs> they have not read the script <laughs> yeah i don't know I, I i think it respects the last jedi in a greater way than the rise of skywalker did in terms of mm-hmm. like i don't know that last jedi succeeded in showing me the depth of of finn and rose's relationship and what it could right. potentially be but what i did like is that you know duel of the fates this script allowed for that to to take the next step at least in terms of what they could be. And yeah. who knows what could have, like the thing, the thing that we don't remember, like don't really think about is like, this is a script and it's not a shooting script. It's just, it's what they wrote down to take to set with them. And it's hard to say what would have transpired on set, what chemistry would have evolved and what yeah. like improvisation and what kind of things could have been changed on the fly. Like the thing is that these are all scenes that would have been laid out and who knows what would have happened. I, they couldn't have obviously written a love arc or like, but you could have felt these feelings more depending on how they acted them out. If they sold, if mm. they really sold them or if like Finn, if, if John Boyega and, and um, Kelly Marie Tran, if they had really like clicked in a way that maybe didn't necessarily work in Last Jedi, yeah. you know, as actors, if they could have really sold us on that relationship a little bit more. Yeah. Um, not saying it's their fault that they didn't. Um, they, were not give, they weren't given the opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I think that, the Last Jedi was a huge disservice to both of those characters and sure. those actors. Honestly, their side adventure aside, I thought like the script was weak for them. It didn't do anything for their characters. Um, as actors, they did what they were given, which is great. But I didn't think it did much for them. And honestly, this script, I don't feel that much more. And there is a spot in a couple of pages here that that we'll get to that really kind of frustrated me, which was mm-hmm. in some ways uh, alleviated uh, later on in the script. But still, like I, I feel like those characters didn't get a good shake. And, and we'll get to that. Okay. With Poe and Ray, like, I think it, it makes sense. I think it's, it's a fine thing to add. I think it, it maybe needs to be there to give Ray some, some more stakes, like some more personal stakes. Uh, it makes the decisions that she makes later in the script harder for her to do, but also gives her that much more strength. So I, I was cool with it. <laughs> yeah. But I, I want to talk about Leia for a second, because this is really one of the only yes. points in the movie where, or in the script rather, that we get a lot of Leia dialogue it was my understanding that this script was supposed to be a lot more leia centric which the script that we're reading yeah before this came out before the script leaked before we knew much about it i the idea that i was getting from talks from you know lucasfilm executives and and whispers that were coming down was that leia was supposed to be a lot more uh, central in this movie 
uh, obviously like things had to be retooled after uh, Carrie Fisher's passing, but I I didn't feel like she was actually that much more central in this script than she was in the movie that we got. Yeah. There was obviously a lot more dialogue, which they weren't able to, to create out of thin air for the movie that we saw on screen, but it, it felt like a very similar role. Um, with the exception of like her sort of commanding <laughs> the eclipse at the end of the movie, which was pretty awesome. Yes, yeah. Or at the end of the script. I will continue to to mess that up throughout <laughs> the episode as well. That's fine. But I think that it's another thing is that this script is very fanficy in the way because it says something that can't be said really without recasting yeah. or CGA, you know, making a, a VFX version of Carrie Fisher. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that's sort of cheating in liking the script more. It's like, it, it makes it really nothing more than fanfic. It, it can become your head canon, but it's something that couldn't have happened, really. Yeah, they would have, at the very least, had to retool pretty much everything that Leia was in. Like, it's not like it's a lot. Like I said, I, I don't feel like it's as much as I would have expected. I thought that she was going to play a much bigger role in the script isn't there like some theory or or observation that force awakens was hans kind of thing last jedi was Mm -hmm. luke's and then they were going to give leia this is going to be leia's yeah that's why i kind of had that idea reading it Mm -hmm. it didn't feel like she really had that (laughs) maybe it would have come across on on the big screen you know maybe maybe it would have been a lot the shots they would have hung on her face a little bit longer in some shot or something like that and really said this is leia's film i just really thought maybe she would have a lightsaber at some point and <laughs> use it. So after the heist, we we get introduced to Kylo Ren. And my my vision for Kylo in the third installment of the sequel trilogy, I was hoping they were going to do a long time jump and we were just going to pull up on like just this really disgusting old, not old, I guess he couldn't be much older, but like this, this disgusting version of, of Adam Driver just bald and like bearded and like just destroyed by the dark side of the force because he really let it consume him at the end of it. Like that's mm-hmm. who I wanted in Rise of Skywalker. It's not who we got, but it's what I wanted. And I think we kind of get that here. Like we, it's just, it's sort of similar to his quest at the beginning of Rise of Skywalker, right? Am I wrong? Correct me if I'm wrong because I, I, I can't even remember how he becomes disfigured. But So he got slashed in the face by Rey. Yeah, that was in Force Awakens, and that's that's where he gets that disfigurement uh, for Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Then in the Rise of Skywalker, as as I recall, he, you know his his whole thing at the first part of the in the first act of the movie was that he was tracking down that Wayfinder, that Sith Wayfinder. And in this, we have him doing something similar, though, don't we? Yes, it's it's almost the same thing. It really like Kylo's story is very similar. Uh, the differences are in who he finds and where he goes. But the general idea of it is all very much the same. It gets into the lore of the Sith and in the Force at large. I think this script went a lot bigger. So in the movie, he ends up at the the Sith planet where Palpatine has been sort of calling home base. A lot of very similar things happen in this script. Uh, he goes to different planets, though. He meets somebody very different, which we'll get to. But yeah, his whole his whole story in this movie or in this script feels very similar to what we saw in the movie. Like, almost beat for beat. Well, let's say it. So he goes to the planet. He finds a holocron. It's basically Emperor Palpatine sending a distress message to Vader or something. Like, if you're seeing this, the Empire mm-hmm. is falling. Well, he goes to Vader's castle. It's not... He doesn't, he doesn't just go to any planet. Oh. Like, he goes so to So he's going Mustafar. to... Mustafar. Okay. So he yep. goes there, and he 
finds this thing and it scans him and it says this isn't darth vader we just we just played this message for someone who wasn't darth vader like it's right, just i like, like that whoops. it does the scan after <laughs> yeah it's like oh shit that robot is so screwed you know when when palpatine finds out after he comes back from the dead which he doesn't in this script by the way um so we have this thing scans him it's not darth vader it basically just has a booby trap then it and it just makes him super disfigured and disgusting mm-hmm. and just really messes up Kylo Ren. So it sort of gives me that that messed up Kylo Ren that I really wanted. Mm-hmm. But I, then once I got it in this script, I was like, oh, this feels stupid. Like I kind of wanted to hit the force to kind of shrivel him in the way it shriveled Palpatine and not mm-hmm. like have him be like an Anakin Skywalker type because he gets put back together by robots on Coruscant or something like that. And uh, it felt a little repetitive, if you can say that about a Star Wars film. It gave him an excuse to craft a new mask, right? I think that was sort of the point there was was for him to to create a more sinister mask. Spooky. A lot happens with Kylo in this. Like he does, he destroys his grandfather's mask. He he sort of like comes to terms with the fact that he has basically gone through the entire arc that Anakin did, but he made a different decision when he killed his father. When he went after his mother as well, like. He knows that if he follows, continues to follow in Vader's path, he'll follow the same path as Vader, which is that he failed uh, in his point of view. And to go beyond that, he needs to embrace the dark side fully, reject everything completely, and just go full bad guy. So there's a a scene where I think he was actually on Coruscant. He you know dumps the the melted Vader helmet over the side of the building and it, it crashes and shatters on the ground a uh, very symbolic thing it's before he rolls off and, and goes to vader's castle to to find this holocron um i realize there's one smaller scene that we we skipped earlier which i think is kind of important because it, it highlights the knights of ren who play a much mar- larger role in this movie than the one that we saw and we actually get like names of the members of the Knights of Ren. I don't know when we would have gotten those names, though. Do they say, like, like, yeah. hey, Tosca, or like, hey, I don't Jada. think so. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, we are we are reading the script, so we get more context. Come on over. Coral, or whatever her name was. But Hatoska Ren is interesting, because Hatoska Ren apparently wields a Darksaber. And so my question with that is, you know, is this canonically the Darksaber? Because as, as far as I'm aware, it's one of a kind, right? Like, there was only one Darksaber that's it. So I would be interested to know like kind of how that plays into the timeline of the dark saber, which is a very interesting part of the star Wars lore for me, which has touched almost. Well, it, yeah, it's touched pretty much all of the TV shows <laughs> at yeah. some point now, including, including the Mandalorian. So that is interesting to me. I kind of wish that that was still in the movie somehow. Maybe it, it's definitely not necessary. Cause it's not like we don't get more of that lineage in other mediums, but I thought that was kind of a cool thing to add. Just just being able to see more of the the Knights of Ren in this and having them play a more active role was kind of cool. It's it's not dissimilar to what we got in the movie. Like they are still hunting down Ray and and basically doing the bidding of Ren, uh, Kylo Ren, and there's more personality though. And I imagine the costumes yeah. would have been a little bit more differential. Like it would have been. Just the way this was written, like just the fact they gave it names is, is again cheating. The script is cheating um, yeah. by allowing us to have that. But it's also just the way that they act and the way they behave. Like there's one that's just in a tube, like in a on their ship, just floating mm-hmm. in a thing of Bacta or whatever. I don't know what they're. He's just 
Yeah, and he's, he's using he, the force to track. I don't know what's happening. Yeah, yeah. There's like some cool lore stuff there, and and we see them on different planets too, right? Like they they track down uh, Poe and Ray when they go off on, on their little side adventure, and they sure. find them on a different planet. And there's this awesome fight scene, and that would have been really cool because it wasn't. We're not just seeing them in the dark. Well, we get their fighting styles. We see that two of them are attached. They're two, there's twins that are in the Knights of Ren. In Rise of Skywalker, there's just f- like five cloaked people. In the rain. With no words. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't, don't get dialogue. The most we get is Adam Driver shrug. He's like, hey, I'm going to kill you now. And then he kills them all. And like, okay, Knights of Ren, purpose served. Cool. Right. But yeah, it's just they're, they're, they're mascots in Rise of Skywalker. And in this, they are, and I, I would feel safe calling them antagonists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Oh, where were we? Um, Coruscant, Kylo Ren. Coruscant was kind of cool. I, I thought it was neat that we got to see more of Coruscant because we, we really, you don't get any Coruscant in the original trilogy, do you? It's just, just the flashes to the celebrations. And then, I mean, it's all over the prequel trilogy. Yeah, yeah. It's all over the prequel trilogy. And that's where we get the real look at it. And then, of course, in some of the animated TV shows, we get a look at the the underlayers of the city, mm-hmm. which was cool. Actually, there was one line in the script, which I just thought was really, really great. Uh, it described like the layers of Coruscant as sedimentary layers of progress. I just thought that was such a good descriptor for that city. I really like that line. But obviously, like, the First Order has taken over Coruscant as sort of a, a base of sorts. Um, it seems to be kind of their whole HQ. Mm-hmm. There were just some weird things here. Like, we get introduced to a lot of elements of the First Order that we haven't really seen before. Brute Troopers. Um, for some reason, they have Night Sister speeder bikes. I don't even know what that is. So, yeah, you'd seen them in the Clone Wars, probably. They're just speeder bikes, but they look very triangular. I don't know. They're cool, but I don't understand why a first order troops would have them and be why they would have them on Coruscant specifically. Yeah, I mean, if it's an old, like weird, outdated technology, those typically don't hold up. Like, I mean, there's a reason why there's not a lot of Y wings in the sequel trilogy. Like those, they're just slow and hard to come by and hard to repair. Like off the, they're off the production line. Yeah. It just felt like a weird thing to add in. Like they could have just said speeder bikes and like, it would have just been like a passing thing. I I just don't understand why specifically it had to be (laughs) night sister speeder bikes. It's like, Trevorrow and Connolly were like, they were just looking through. I, I, you'll see in other things that pop up in the script. They're just fingering through the the like the the catalog of like Clone Wars and Rebels. Like, all right, what can we throw in here? All right, we got this planet. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, Night Sisters. They, yeah, oh, these are cool looking speeder bikes. Let's make the Stormtroopers ride a speeder bike here, and it's going to be a Night Sister one. I just imagine they have like 50 tabs to Wikipedia open at one time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, we were in the Legends thing, not the canon oh. one. Ah, oh, to start again. Colin. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so basically what that hologram of Palpatine tells Kylo Ren before he shreds him mm-hmm. is uh, that you have to go find this thing, person. We don't know at this yeah. point what it is. So I-, I can read it. I have it up here. It says, uh, sure. Lord Vader, young Skywalker will soon be ours. I have foreseen it, but we must prepare for the unforeseen. Should he strike me down, you will take him to the Remnicor system. There you will find Tor Valum, master of the Sith Lord who instructed me, which is cool. This is when the Holocron's blue light swirls with red and emits a laser that scans Hi- Kylo's body because that's when things happen midway through a message. Yep. That's my voicemail does. Here, the son of Skywalker will acquire a great ability beyond what you could hope to command in your damaged state. With it, he will harness the untapped power of Mortis. At last, we'll realize, and then the alarm sounds and it blows up. Um, something, something destiny, something, something potential. Uh, and then Kylo's face gets blown to smithereens. What this is basically saying is that Palpatine's sh- the cockiness 
in Return of the Jedi when he's like, take the lightsaber and like, oh, you could kill me now when like Vader saves mm-hmm. him or like blocks Luke's strike. Like he wasn't so sure that Vader was going to be able to protect him in that scene. He had a contingency plan. Yeah, like as sure as it seems like he was when like the, the, the rebels fell into the trap, you know, at the end, he wasn't that sure and he had a contingency plan, which is really interesting because you'd think that like megalomaniacal bad guys are are just so sure of themselves and that's what caused their downfall but like mm-hmm. this would have worked but it plays into vader more too right like you think about vader's motivation during that scene um he is sort of incentivized to not let palpatine get killed because then this would be the path that he has to take and then luke would be like even stronger than him like this whole message is is a dig in a way that we saw in a lot of the the earlier marvel comics in the new canon yes. which is that yep. vader is starting to see that he can't fully trust palpatine is like totally on his side um he knows that he's just sort of a tool for palpatine and that if he becomes useless to him then whoever comes next will be better and we know from different sources of media that like Palpatine really wants Anakin's kid because he's not so damaged. He has all of his limbs. He therefore has more blood, which maybe means more midichlorians, whatever. He started his training even later, so he has like more emotions still yeah, intact. Yeah, there's like a lot of reasons why Luke is the ideal uh, Sith apprentice, right, over over Vader, Vader. And this seems very clear. It's like, look, if I get taken down, I don't want you to take my place. I want you to take him to the guy who trained the guy who trained me <laughs> so that he can get all these crazy powers that no Sith has really ever seen. Which really was, is that the rule of two still? Like maybe he's not a Sith Lord. Maybe this, oh, so his name is Torvalum. Mm-hmm. And is he a Sith Lord? I don't know that he is. Palpatine describes him as a master of the Sith Lord who instructed me. So it's, it's hard to say, like maybe he is just a teacher and maybe he doesn't like claim any sort of you know, precedence in, in, the role of the sith like obviously the sith was an organization right it wasn't just like there were two two sith at any given time like there is a lot of question around what exactly that means because they're like as tor valum points out when kylo eventually finds him there was there was a war between sith and jedi like there were many sith who fought against the jedi in this war and you see you know we are described all of these like carcasses basically <laughs> that are just laying on this old battlefield on this planet where tor valum is the only living being so it is interesting. Like, I think the lore of this is, like, pretty cool. It's, again, a dig into Star Wars canon or, like, of, of your, like, legends now. Yeah, the uh, legends KOTOR. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, this, this is KOTOR, basically. I mean, the, the Sith were a giant army. Uh, they weren't, yeah. like, when I started playing that game, I was so confused because it's like, wait, I, this is not the Sith that I know. Yeah, and, and this, this, this whole movie plays a lot more into, like, the stuff that we get in Clone Wars, like, all of the lore stuff with, with Mortis and the Sith stuff that Yoda finds out later, like at the very, like towards the very end of the series, this script ties into all of that a lot better while also kind of referencing things that happened in legends without overtly saying it. You and I talked about before we recorded today that this script doesn't actually call out Plagueis specifically, but this message from Palpatine definitely implies that Tor Valum was the master of his master and is his master Plagueis? Like, it doesn't explicitly say that, but it definitely feels like that's what they're trying to say. And I don't know if Trevorrow doesn't explicitly say that because he wasn't allowed <laughs> or what, you know, what the rules are there. But it is interesting and it does lead a lot more questions. But it also, this is also like a huge difference from the movie that we got 
because even though some of the plot points are very similar, like we, we we're still digging into the Sith and the role of balance in the force and all of these things. Palpatine doesn't play a central role in the script. This is all that we get from him. We just get this pre-recorded message from decades ago. Mm-hmm. This implies that, you know, Palpatine is still dead, which is obviously very different from what we got in the movie because he is the central character and it completely changes the entire point of the series, not just the movie, like the whole series. And I think we talked about this in our review of the movie, but Palpatine being the big ga- bad guy really makes the Skywalker saga more of the Palpatine saga. And I, I certainly like parts of that. I don't agree that it should be the central. I don't, I don't, I still don't know where to fall on that because I, I like it. And I agree with it. Like when you mm-hmm. look at the prequels, that entire trilogy was about Palpatine, like him taking control and, that moves us into the second arc where the emperor is in control. Um, so certainly the Skywalkers and the Palpatines are very intertwined. And so it kind of makes sense for it to go hand in hand and for the end of the saga to end with Palpatine being defeated once and for all. We don't want to go too into the rabbit hole here in terms of like, I'm not really talking about which is better. I'm just saying like this, this is a very core difference in between the script and the movie that we got on screen. Right. This is like probably the biggest thing, right? Because when you have Palpatine as the central bad guy in the final movie, you realize he has been the central bad guy the entire time through every single movie. He has been the bad guy. So all of these, you know, these red herrings like Snoke and even Kylo Ren, like it doesn't matter as much. It's it's always been about Palpatine and defeating Palpatine. It's like poetry. It rhymes, man. I agree. It's a, it's a much better, it feels better as a story, but I feel like there's things like, there's a way to work Palpatine into this script. Mm-hmm. Like if you just replace Torvalum with Palpatine, do the whole clone arc and like have, and then have Kylo squash Palpatine mm. on that planet the way he squashes Torvalum and turn on him. That way we can we can reinforce the idea of ch- like changing the old and making it new again and squashing the past and but also confer that like Palpatine has been pulling the strings this entire time. Like I think that would have been the easiest way to do it. Mm. Like there's there's elements of both that I really appreciate and obviously yeah. elements of both that I vehemently dislike. Well, I I think that's interesting but and probably more messy than, than Lucasfilm probably would have wanted to commit to on screen. I sure. I think that what we get in the script is also very cool. And it also, I think it does tie into everything else just as well as the Palpatine story that we do get. It just changes the focus and the focus is less on Palpatine and more on the force at large. And I think that's cool. Um, it plays into Mortis, which we find very interesting here on Bantha Fodder. So I'm actually kind of like, I kind of wish that this was the movie that was made and we'll get into yes. this specifically for for this part alone. Say um, it. This is the only thing that I thought was like, oh gosh, I kind of wish that we had this. Even Let though your hate flow through you. <laughs> <laughs> it kills me though because the reason I like the movie so much is because of the Palpatine bit. Which is lacking from this script, yeah. Right, I just get, I like both versions of it so much, I think it's it's just very interesting. So, it, I don't know, it's cool. Like, we still get the script. I can still enjoy the script, and it doesn't have to be canon for me to enjoy it, and that's yeah. that's what I'm reckoning with here. But, yeah, thank you for stopping on this, this plot point for me, because I, really, this is, like, the most important part of the script for me, and it really changes up how the saga ends. Like, it's completely different, and yeah, all right. That's enough on that. Okay, yeah, that's enough of that. <laughs> For now. <laughs> we'll we'll circle back to it at the end. 
Okay, so now we have the, the we finished the first act. We we know where Kylo is. We know where Poe, Ray, Finn are. We know, and Poe, Ray, and Finn all, they all have to split up. Yeah, Finn and Rose, mm. they're going to Coruscant to use some old technology to call everyone to arms. Well, you know, old Republic tech is better than the junk we have today. Quote from Poe Dameron from this script. Yeah. I like that line. Yeah, it's a good line. Again, a very meta comment, but like, sure. it's great. I was just talking to my dad about that the other day. He came over for a very small Thanksgiving with just he, May, and I, and he came upstairs to see my office, and he saw my Naboo Starfighter, my giant Naboo Starfighter sitting in the <laughs> corner, and he's like, so wait a minute, that's from the 90s movies, right? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, and those took place before the ones from the 70s. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, that one looks a lot newer. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a problem. <laughs> it's a problem. It's Naboo. Yeah. It's, they, they, yeah. it's chalked up to Naboo's design style and yeah. superior aesthetic. Yeah. I just, I like this in dialogue nod. I thought that was funny. Yeah, that's good. Um, but I think that it's also kind of like, it's also a weird thing because in fascist dictatorships, usually like the first thing that happens is that like the, the past is usually burned. Like, so I feel like this would have been the first thing to actually get destroyed. You know, like they raise the temple or whatever. This is this thing. They're going to the temple, right? to do this or some tower they've like sort of co-opted uh a lot of the primary locations in in Coruscant that we're familiar with from the prequels into right. you know first order headquarters and part of that is the jedi temple you would think that this would have been just leveled and like a put up a shopping mall on top of it if this was truly a fascist <laughs> dictatorship but for the purposes of the movie it is intact and they have to go set up a signal there to beam to the galaxy yeah that's rose and finn and then we have ray and Poe, or mm-hmm. Pei, as I'm calling them now. I mean, would you prefer Roe? I prefer neither. I don't think it's necessary. It's what we got. We're, this is what we're presented with. We got a Roe, or we got a Pei. You got a pick, or you got a Rick. Uh, pay. I would go Pei. <laughs> okay, Pei. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pei go off, because they're, they're sort of following Ray's force visions. She keeps getting these force visions of like, of some sort of Acropolis that has like these two stone thrones. Uh, she's seeing Mortis, basically. She's seeing Mortis and she keeps having this vision of like Kylo cutting her down. Mm-hmm. And so she's she's focused on finding him and Poe goes along for the ride. And I just think this is a great pull. And if you go back in our catalog, you'll see, you'll hear an episode where two or episodes, how many, we did one or two episodes on the Mortis arc and Clone Wars and how frustrated it made me because it introduced me to this mystical part of Star Wars, this weird, metaphorical, surreal, other dimension quality to Star Wars that I hadn't really experienced prior. And I was very frustrated because I'm very used to the, the canon films and I hadn't really explored the, the Clone Wars at all. Um, so you'll see a very weird real-time reaction to me trying to understand that script or that that arc. And I'm just so happy. The only way that that, that episode arc can exist in canon for me, in my head canon, is if the, move, is if the series ends this way. Because otherwise there's just this planet out there in the middle of nowhere where the force was supposedly balanced or whatever. I don't know where an old man and his two kids are just fighting and Anakin had a weird adventure with Obi-Wan there and Qui-Gon showed up as a ghost and all that happened and then just nothing. It didn't mean anything. But if it means mm-hmm. something in the end, it works for me. And I'm so happy that he pulled that in the script. It is a cool thing. It, it is fun when, when they make things tie up. And it's like the fun thing about Star Wars 
in the the sandbox that it creates for for writers is that you don't have to have an ending for an idea to start writing it and to even have it published. Like there's so much in Clone Wars or Rebels that eventually will appear in other things later, or even in the books. Like we we've talked about in the Mandalorian in the past. Like we can have little nuggets of ideas that will spark other writers to to finish it in new and creative ways. When you look at this this trilogy, people will often complain that there's no consistent through line. And while there's some merit to that complaint, it also opens up more opportunity than if all three of the movies were written and directed by J.J. Abrams from the start. Sure. That's how you get a movie like The Last Jedi. I love it or hate it. It's something different, something new. It has new ideas. And it gives the next director something to work from. So you do sort of lose that Lucas-like continuity that you get in the prequels or even in the original trilogies to some degree. But it opens up a lot more opportunity. And so it's cool to be able to pull things in from existing canonical things like the TV shows or from old Legends books where you're allowed to. Uh, I, would, I would just love to be inside the room when they bring up ideas to like the creative story group. And you're like, no, nah, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a cool idea, but unfortunately you can't do that because we currently have this other thing that's in production that negates that somehow. I, yeah, I'm with you. It, it is cool to see that stuff pulled in, especially into a, a cannot like a, a primary movie, like a, a Skywalker saga film. So that's where Pei and Roe are going. And yeah. before they split up, you get some dialogue between Finn and Rose that you just detested. Did you not? <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> all right, let's, let's get into this. So they're, yeah, before they all split up and the reason they split up is because, you know, they stole an eclipse destroyer that is obviously being tracked. They thought they disabled it. Uh, they didn't fully disable it and they were, I guess they were going to split up anyway, but they got rushed because the, the first order appeared. Um, but just before this, we, we kind of get like a, a scene cut to Finn and Rose and they're just kind of chit chatting and the mm-hmm. dialogue on this just made me so angry because it's the first that we really get of them in this script. And it's just so reminiscent of how poorly written both characters were in the last movie. It just drives me up the wall. Yeah. So Finn is recounting something that happened to him when he was a stormtrooper, right? And when they were at Kuat, he saw one of the stormtroopers and he he recognized them. They trained together. Um, they grew up together and he looks so scared. And he says, I remember that feeling. Rose says, I don't think that feeling ever goes away. Finn says, I can't let more of them end up like me. It has to stop. Rose puts a calming hand on his. He breathes easier. Rose says, that's what we're fighting for. And I just, I can't stand this because it's just this like platitudinal bullshit that they keep bringing up for these characters. They just say the same thing over and over again. Finn has been saying the same thing since the first movie. And then Rose starts saying the same thing that Finn has been saying. They just keep having the same conversation. And it just drives me nuts. The people writing these films can't write these characters with any more depth. Like, if you're having a problem with it, bring somebody in to write these characters. Like, that is not out of the question get help on these things. It just drives me crazy that you have this character Finn who I feel like they didn't, they didn't know what to do with him, especially in the last Jedi. Like he had the opportunity to kind of finish out his arc in a way, right? Like he was going to sacrifice himself to to save the, the resistance, like fight for something to like stand and fight for something that would have been an arc. But then Rose, this other character comes in and takes them away. And they're supposed to be like a lesson in love. And like, this isn't the way, but should have let him die, Rose. Yeah, you have two characters who now have the same problem. The writers don't know what to do with them. 
Like they don't have any like major plot points that will help them, you know, expand or end their their arc as characters. Like what are what is their purpose? What are they here for? What we end up with in both this script, at least the beginning of this script, and in the movie that we saw is they just kind of keep saying the same things like these things are terrible and these are our feelings about it and that's what we're fighting for they just keep saying this, that's people what we're don't fighting talk for. like this they don't talk like the human beings don't talk like this and i know it's a space opera but right i mean han and leia i mean like the corniest leia ever got was when you know she says like hope you know in mm-hmm. the end of rogue one um or whatever and but it's not like she, it's not like she keeps saying hope over and over and over again right exactly you get one moment where she does that and e- even then it wasn't really carrie fisher so you know i chalk that up to just the uh, hollywood writers just being not really knowing how to use leia at the end of a mm-hmm. movie and you know i mean the uh, rogue one don't get me started it was all fan service in general but it's still a fun yeah. movie i enjoyed it mm-hmm. um but i think like this is what we're getting here it's just you have these people like you said that don't know how to write rose and finn and so they stick them together. That's another thing that really bothers me. Like these two characters have the potential to do something more, except they're stuck together. It's like, okay, we have Finn and we have Rose. What are they supposed to do? Uh, I don't know. Let's just put them on their own little side adventure. That's what we see in, in The Last Jedi. Well, you'd think tactically, if if they truly developed a relationship or feelings for each other, you'd think they wouldn't want to be in the same mission together. Like Han and Leia were like the only, they were like the two bigs you know the two heavies like they were the only two that could do the get the job done but a much better interaction would have been like having like like if you split up these two people and have them encounter problems and like they're split from each other you feel the gravity of their relationship so much more Mm. than them being like they would have compromised the entire mission i would want to go on a mission with my my significant other i don't know if you would like you know we love them very dearly but it's like you just end up driving each other crazy you want to go with someone who's tactically a match for you in in combat or whatever and Mm. even from just a screenwriting perspective it's much better to split them up and to cause tension that way I mean, you're definitely coming at it from like a, a romantic point of view, which I think is interesting because that didn't really play into my mind as much when reading this. It's just their their dialogue here. It's just so passive, and it's just so like yes, it's 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 not it's it's nothing. It's nothing dialogue. It's like it's really just setting up the end of the movie. It's just setting up his entire arc. Like you could just end the movie for him right there, and you got everything you need out of it. This this whole line of dialogue didn't need to exist at all. I think it just sets up the fact that they are still working together and that they're sort of like paired up on whatever these missions are. When I read this, I texted you about it because I was so mad. <laughs> and I was really worried that it was going to be like this throughout the entire thing. And what I came to is that actually it, it made a lot more sense and they used the characters better. So even though this bit of dialogue really got me, I was pleased over the course of it because I think the characters are actually used because you have to think about these characters strengths. And even though I don't think that they can write dialogue for these characters, for shit, they can use them to their strengths. And for Rose, that's mechanical stuff. Like she's a mechanical whiz. She can hack stuff and she can make things work. She's great at that. And Finn has experience with the First Order. And like her his his arc should be either coming to terms with himself and what he believes in and standing for that, which is how they could have ended it in The Last Jedi, or really making a true and honest difference with other people who are in his situation. And that would be saving more stormtroopers. Like getting more stormtroopers to defect, like come to terms with what happened to them and the trauma that's been done to them. And, and make a difference. Well, they try that later on. 
Like, it, but it's so surface level and like, mm-hmm. like he, you'd think he was playing a Jedi mind trick on the guy he encounters. He like bumps into a yeah. stormtrooper. He's like, hey man, got to turn your life around. The guy's like, oh, <laughs> I got to turn my life around. I'm going to defect yeah. everybody. And I think like, we'll probably talk about it at the end. Like, I don't feel like the ending to this movie, like every aspect of the ending of this movie was fully baked. That's why sure. I feel like this was an early draft. It's a, actually a pretty good early draft in my opinion, yeah, but there solid. were parts of that that could be better. But you know, getting that is better than what we got in the movie, which was that, okay, he runs into some other stormtroopers, the, you know, those people that they run into on the, the planet where the death star crashed. Um, and like, okay, but like, he doesn't, he didn't really make any difference in their like, lives. Like they came to the like same what, decision that he did. He just found more people like him. That doesn't really give him anything that doesn't allow him to do anything. The arc for, for Finn that works in this movie is that would work in the, in the third of the, of, of a trilogy like this is just turn him into like, he develops this ridiculous splinter cell of the new Republic or the resistance that is totally committed to rescuing stormtroopers mm-hmm. and it's and it, he's written so well in that splinter cell and he does some crazy cassian andors cut type stuff to get it done and like that's who you want uh finn to become that mm-hmm. that's who you want him to be in this movie you want him to not be stuck on like what should be done and what you want him to become a person of action a character with with like motive and someone who has agency over what they're doing rather than kind of feeling like they're like, okay, you go to this planet and do this now. And I'm going to do this with this girl that I got paired up with. Like, no, like you want him to just like go on a quest to just like turn the entire army to like, I don't know, bring in some weird lore about how like the brainwashing techniques for the stormtroopers and have it be something that you can reverse by pressing a button Mm -hmm. or something weird like that. Like retcon something if you need to, to make it so that he, like, I don't need him going on a quest, I guess, but I just need him being like Saw Gerrera in a way. And like, that's kind of what I was picturing when they said that there was going to be a time gap between Last Jedi. I guess they meant more than like 10 seconds, but not like five, six years. I wanted... John Boyega to have like Saw Gerrera hair and to be like more weathered from <laughs> battle. Like I, that's what I thought we were getting. Cause he did say in an interview, they said, what are you doing to prepare? And he said, I'm growing my hair out. And I was like, Oh dang, I really hope yeah. that like we get that kind of, you just wanted him to find some purpose off screen. We want a veteran. We want, we want a person who's not yeah. so unsure of himself anymore and who has had an arc rather than someone who realizes his arc in the last third of a trilogy, you know, like who, mm-hmm. who, realizes his purpose rather than like his purpose coming out of force awakens should have been like well i guess i'm not a jedi but i'm here to i need to this is a part of the the empire that needs to stop like this practice of brainwashing and kidnapping children this is what i can do this is what i am suited for yeah and i i think that was sort of his his arc was supposed to be finding what that thing was like finding the thing that he believed in and i i think saving something that he believes in is is a good uh, good way to do that but also i don't know i i like the idea they went with this i think they could have gone further for sure i think i like your idea of the this winter cell thing you know his his cell sort of being comprised of former troopers saving former troopers i, I think is a cool idea something that just wouldn't make him feel like a side character like a better writer would have made him feel like not extra i will say at least in this script as opposed to the last jedi finn and rose had purpose they actually like what they did actually had bearing (laughs) in what happened in the plot like their actions on coruscant later in the script 
is like a massive reason for why the resistance won the war. Like they got the message out to other planets. They stoked rebellion on Coruscant to fight the first order on their home front. These are not like insignificant things. This is not a trip to Canto bite. Like this is actual progress being made. So I, I do like that. They gave them that. I think probably more in the script than in the movie that we got. It felt like what they were doing mattered. And I, I like that. I wish that they would have gone even further. And I wish that they would have gone a lot further in the movie. <laughs> yeah. I, just something I wanted to remark on because that, that bit of dialogue just like made me so mad because it's the first bit that we get of those two characters. And it's just basically the script writer saying, we can't do any better than last Jedi. <laughs> I did. You see that tweet though. That's where somebody asked him about, uh, the, the Chrome dome line from last Jedi. No. Were they like, did you improvise that? Was that like a one-off, like you just saying that on the set and they just decided to keep it? And he wrote, nope. And then just did a million barf emojis. It was so good. It was just a great moment in Star Wars Twitter. He's a great actor. I mean, he really is. He's really fantastic. So I, I think you can see if you watch this in contrast to any other movie that he's in. He just keeps getting bad roles. He just, yeah, he, people... He's not He's not being handed. Like, I, I made the mistake and watched that movie, The Circle, with, like, Tom Hanks and Emma Watson oh, and John Boyega. Right. Like, I read the book, too, and I hated it, but the movie was even worse, and his role in the movie was just abysmal. But that mm. was more... I mean, Tom Hanks' role in the movie was abysmal. It has nothing to do with John. I agree. Um, okay, so let's keep this moving because we've been going a long time and I have a lot of things I, I want to hit. My th- my yeah. hits are mostly Easter eggs and kind of quick comments on them, though. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like you you m- talked about the bromance between Finn and Poe continuing. Is that something we want to talk about? Yeah, not not really. I mean, I mean it's kind of nice. <laughs> like, I think that's an extension of just how much people really liked that bromance on, on Twitter and on, on Tumblr. Like, it's a very internet thing. Like, people just really liked the the repartee that they have and the bond that they sort of formed over a very short period of time. Like it's just a very playful brother, like kind of uh, affection, which is cool. First of all, I think the writers are cowards for not making them love each other in a romantic way. Uh, I think all the writers of this trilogy have really messed up in that respect. They could have done something really cool here and we really should have gotten them to fall in love. But instead star Wars is remaining sexless. Uh, the, no- the script notes, that you, you have this highlighted. Yeah, there's just a minor thing. On like page 44. Um, there's a lot of these actually. Yeah, there, there's a ton of it. So Chewbacca plays a pretty big role in this movie. And honestly, like I really, some of the other things I really wish would have made it into um, the film that we had is like the chewy stuff. They did have like a chewy death scare. Uh, that is a thing that got ported over. They did have a like a droid death scare as well, except it was a different droid. Instead of C-3PO getting his memory wiped, R2-T2 gets like straight up shot and, like through the head, <laughs> completely killing him. Uh, luckily, they didn't shoot the hard drive, which is important, apparently the most important part of the droid. So um, he ended up being okay. But uh, I thought that was interesting. But the thing with Chewie is that uh, there's a lot of interaction between him and Poe and Ray. So when Poe and Ray go off, they they bring Chewie and BB-8 with them. And obviously Chewie is really more the owner of the Falcon than anybody else. But there's sure. like this funny tension between Chewie, Poe and Ray, who are all really great pilots in their own right, and there's only two chairs <laughs> in the Falcon's cockpit. So there's just like a bunch of notes where Chewie growls at Poe and Poe's like I know I know it's your seat Chewie bangs on the walls and the 
like the script note is Chewie bangs the walls. That's his damn chair. And I just love how Connolly and Trevorrow write for Chewie because you have to do so much of the heavy lifting in the script for Chewie with that kind of text because in the movie, he does it with his actions, right? Like him actually banging on the walls. Like, you know, like that's mine. I'm upset. I feel like I should be sitting there. You get that. You get that idea. But I just love the way that they write Chewie in this in this uh, script because the, the I mean, banging the walls could be like you know, it could be like, oh, let's get out of here. I'm I'm anxious to keep moving or something like that. Or like, yeah, I'm excited. You have to explicitly say like that's his damn chair. And there's like yeah. a lot of little little things like that throughout the. We'll entire come up to another for one later, but uh, yeah. I especially loved because <laughs> I mean, you have because script writers they're not on screen, they're not narrators, so what you what they're writing is not going to end up there. But the idea the way that they're connecting to their audience needs to be conveyed so that the directors and the cinematographers know how to shoot this thing and or storyboard it out at least. Mm-hmm. And so you'll see a lot of these notes coming up in this script that are just so fun to read. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the characters all split up and they go their separate ways. This planet that we end up on with Poe and Ray, mm-hmm. Poe says something about his grandfather taking him here. And I didn't remember anything in the comic i don't remember a grandfather being around in the comics that we got for like poe's parents right. before they gave birth to him it's not to say that he, i mean he grew up in a place where there's a forestry in his backyard so who's to say grandpa dameron didn't come over sometimes to play with him or something or take him on a nice trip across the galaxy as you do with mm-hmm. children but yeah I, I just never really imagined his childhood to be like hanging out with grandfather at this planet yeah I, bringing that up was kind of it was kind of weird. It sounds like a very like a Southern California, like a California, like or like Canal Town or something like that. That's, yeah, that's, that's the exactly the vibe I got. I, I got that exact same vibe. But I thought him bringing that up was weird. It just sort of it's a way for them to shoehorn into Ray digging into her memory to sure. explain some more stuff. Like that's all he says. He's like Ray's like you've been here before, and he's like with my grandfather. I used to sail right out there. You've never seen so many lights. And then he looks at her and asks her, "What do you remember?" Yeah, it's <laughs> and like then she you never her memory, and you hate to see literary devices being used so explicitly and not veiled. Like this is a foil. Here mm-hmm. is a foil. It's it's not even like Ray couldn't even just on her own be like, "I don't remember my grandfather" or whatever. She he's like looks right at her. you could look directly in the camera and be like ray what do you remember from your childhood it's like yeah. this is a thing we are doing with dialogue it's just it's pretty clumsy and kind of lame yeah it doesn't get better like she says uh my father and i would build starships out of wood they could fit in your hand oh really and then poe says anything else <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like he's smarter child basically he's like a he's a web bot that's trying to talk he's he's failing the yeah. turing test right now i'm calling it <laughs> And then we have action scene, uh, which, you know, it plays great in my head. Who knows mm-hmm. what would have happened on screen. Before that, we get a, a, ro- a rope kiss. And in true Disney style, it is completely sexless. And it really reminded me of uh, Captain America Black Widow kiss in Winter Soldier, where they're just like, quick, kiss me. and Or like, right. a, yeah. what's it called? Uh, Inception, um, mm-hmm. where quick kiss me, you know, like to distract oh, yeah, people. Yeah. It's like such yeah, an exactly. overused plot device to like, mm-hmm. they're just really checking all the boxes here in terms of like, how can we make these two people who shouldn't be attracted seem like they're attracted and, and diversions. And the only way to divert someone is to kiss because people are ashamed of their sexuality. And it's just like a really, really gross kind of like uh Disneyification of, 
of human emotion and sexuality. Right. But you can like visualize this kiss in your head too, right? It's it's not even just like a kiss. It's like it's one of those kisses where, um, you know, like one of them probably turns the other one at the same time. So you can only see the back of one of them's heads like you can't actually Eyes see them open. kissing. It's a very Disney yeah. kiss. Um, it's the point is to hide them. The the one note, the one script note just after that, I thought was kind of cool. Um, it's just kind of funny. Like Ray and Poe pull apart. He takes a moment to recover. He's never kissed a Jedi like <laughs> like the just the way that like script writing is such a fascinating art to me because the way you have to write it is so different than the way that you would explain like you and i talking about this movie is very different than the way that the movie has to be written in order to get ideas across that would otherwise be conveyed on screen and that's just one of those things like he's taken aback not because like it's ray it's because like he's never kissed a jedi like it's also like it is the first time we've seen a female jedi kissing somebody right it's so you have to like convey all of that in one line i don't know stuff like that fascinates me i wish i i, I knew how to write scripts just because I, I think that's so fun but yeah this little kiss is is, is fine it kind of opens up that door a little bit more to like okay we have some more stakes for ray now it seems like you know they, they do really have feelings for each other even if they were just flirting before like it seems a lot more uh apparent now and when they get involved in that fight which i sort of visualized in my head as a parallel to the fight that she has with Kylo at the Death Star wreckage. Yes. Again, like they're on these two uh, landing pads that are sort of set out to sea, or at least that's how I imagine it. I don't know about you. So you can kind of see the water lapping up on the sides of these things and and all of that. But her fighting the Knights of Ren was was pretty cool. Like I, I thought the choreography that you couldn't see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but the, you can you can they do a good job of, of describing yeah, it. Yeah, well they, they they wrote the script direction says like there's there's marks that they hit. There's you know, mm-hmm. we're not getting a lot of the slashes and like the the fast action or the jumping and the flipping and whatever. It's just like they it's it's a lot it's more than George Lucas's quote unquote they fight in his scripts, um, <laughs> but it's uh, it's less than, you know, like storyboarding or like seeing like a 3D, like a previs for an action scene or something like that. So, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of really cool stuff that happens in it as far as like, this is the Knights of Ren. This is where we see the characters. We see one who's wielding a saber and a pistol at the same time or a blaster. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of cool because it's really establishing that the, their tactics are not, you know, strictly Sith or strictly... Uh, like mercenary it's Mm -hmm. kind of a mix of the two and i also i mean maybe it's just the fact that we're reading this in like a page or two of script so it feels like it happens quickly but i feel Mm -hmm. like this action scene is over fast you know it 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 either speaks to my inability to you know pace action in my head while i'm reading or it speaks to the ease that ray is having dispatching them and i think part of that also comes in the way that she dispatches like she's She's brutal. Like she slices yeah. one person in half. She impales the other. Well, she force pulls them onto her blade. Yes. It's like, it's a, it's just a brutal, like she's fighting like a Sith Lord. Mm-hmm. What you would imagine, you know, like mm-hmm. it's not, this is not Obi-Wan and uh, Qui-Gon fighting Darth Maul. This is. It makes me wonder if like that, maybe that's where some of the idea for her being a Palpatine came from. Like, you know, maybe they, they read this script and like, oh wow, she's like, I, I like the way she's being described here as, you know the way she's fighting is very it's very aggressive it's not very jedi like at all it's like oh well 
let's explore that a little bit. Like, you know, why why is it that she doesn't do that? There were some loose connections in YouTube videos that were yeah. were made to like the way that Ray fights in Force like Awakens Palpatine. versus the way right. that Palpatine fought in like yeah. what is it, the uh, Revenge of the of the Sith or something? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know exactly. It just makes me wonder. Like, is this maybe where some of those ideas were sparked? Just kind of thinking about how. Ray isn't quite a Jedi and how would she fight? And if that's how she fights, where would that come from? Maybe it's a genetic thing. Maybe Palpatine. Yeah. You can see where like those connections might be drawn. I mean, I wish it was, I wish it was that intelligent design, but I don't, I don't think it is. I think they just needed to find something that people could latch onto. Um, and they were very not creative, but anyway, cool scene. We have that fight, and then we kind of get the parallel to the force lightning killing Chewie uh, in rise of Skywalker. We, she just, she fries this person. And that's kind of the last we hear about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, that, that's just kind of it. Like, she uses the Force Lightning and and, uh, and pose. Like, that's a thing Jedi can do, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it's really, it's it shows how undeveloped the end of this movie, like, or the script is, yeah. you know, when they just kind of rush through. They're like, oh, you were really dark and light at the same time. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, why wouldn't she use the Force Lightning again? Like, I don't know. And this is also that bit where she uses the the, the mind trick again, but except on Poe. She's trying to get Poe to go back and help the Resistance because he can't go with her to Mortis. Like, she basically got a map to Mortis. That's why they came here to this planet. They met a Force-sensitive person who was able to draw maps uh, that can take you to places that don't exist. So she has to go off on her own. She has to get Poe to go back. So she tries to use a mind trick on him. And it doesn't work until the third try. And he, he's, like, aware that she's trying to do it. And he's like, no, like, please don't do it. But it just it just it's kind of neat because it you kind of think as Poe as this this brash sort of dummy like he's a brilliant pilot. You know, he's an OK strategist in in the field. But we learn a lot about him in The Last Jedi, which is that he doesn't think about things all the way through. He doesn't think about the end game. He's very much he's about doing. Yeah, he's a hothead. He does some, some, some stuff in the moment. So this kind of gives us an idea that he's a little bit more uh, strongly willed and a little bit more intelligent than maybe we've been led to believe in, in the films previous. Uh, we also get a good uh, script note here from the writers uh, when there's a point where Chewie gets really angry at one of the Knights of Ren and he picks up one of the Knights of Ren and throws him into the air and then shoots him with his bowcaster. <laughs> like a clay pigeon is what it says. Yeah. <laughs> and to me, that would have been worth the cost of my ticket to see this movie. Yeah. Like I would have 100% <laughs> that in, in an instance later that we get to see, but truly that was a beautiful thing to imagine just yeah. a Wookiee throwing a human and then shooting him out in the air. I like to imagine he would have exploded like a clay pigeon as well too, but I don't think they would have <laughs> given us that. Like I would have loved to see him just fall apart in the air. Yeah. We know that bowcaster does damage, you know? Well, he had like a heavier repeating bowcaster too, didn't he? In that scene, he was like firing after that, that one guy who was oh. advancing towards him and Poe po with the, the blaster and the the saber in his hand like he was able to deflect all of the 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 bolts or whatever but that's cool this is one of the points in the script where they're cutting back and forth between people so that while that's happening with with um with ray and poe and Chewie, there's also finn and rose who have made it to coruscant and they do a zip line across the, like over the city and they land in the jedi temple um they dropped off the droids c-3po and r2d2 in the lower levels of the temple they're they're gonna go in and send a message once the humans, Finn and Rose, are able to activate this like ancient technology, like this ancient Jedi, you know, Republic era technology that allows them to 
send messages across the galaxy. It's like this old school relay system. You can kind of think of it as like the fires in like Lord of the Rings or something like a, you know, like a battle fire. The beacons. Yeah, a beacon. So it's basically the same idea. They're doing this, which is cool. Like we, this is again, like this is where we actually get to see Rose doing her thing. She's actually using her mechanical savvy to fix this really old thing. And she has a, a cool line where it's like, why can't it ever be easy even once? You know, you just kind of get that idea like, oh, gosh, like everything they do, like something has to be broken and never works completely right. But eventually they get it to work and they relay a message uh, across the galaxy, which um, hits all the planets, including the one that uh, that Ray and, and Poe are on. So we know that the message gets out there. It's also simultaneously destroyed by Kylo, who is sort of having his own little quest where he he finds Torvalum. And Torvalum teaches him like this really scary ability, which is to drain life from from others. And it, you know, it like can restore his own, not only his health, but sort of his vitality and his power. This is that very scary power that Palpatine kind of alludes to with Plagueis, which is, again, you know, it's like, why couldn't they specifically call out Plagueis here? Why couldn't it be Plagueis? I guess he because Palpatine killed Plagueis, right? So I guess it couldn't be Plagueis, but it could be Plagueis's master. A lot of questions here, but I, I like this scene uh, again. Like this is the part of the script that I like the most. The Torvalum bit is kind of neat. Like we get this really strange looking creature that it's not, he's not humanoid. He's, he's sort of something else. A big head, big head, you know, locks on like his, his hands and legs at the same time. Not really sure. Like I would love to see some concept art of, of him if it even exists. There is. If, if you Google Torvalum, you'll see some stuff pop up. Yeah. Ooh. It's interesting. It's not what you imagine. Okay. But it's cool. Also before, Kylo kind of squashes this signal. We do get a glimpse of Bothui, oh. home of the Bothans. This is like one of those sequences Montage. kind of from, yeah, from like, you know, Force Awakens when like just before Star Killer Base kills all of those planets, like we can see the the lasers arriving at each planet. We get a little glimpse of all of those, except this is a much more helpful version of that. Yeah, but I mean, we see Bothui, we see Bothans on screen for the first time, and this is my biggest gripe with The Rise of Skywalker is that they took away the opportunity for us to see Bothans on the big screen. I anticipate we'll see them on Mandalorian at some point uh, or some other live action Star Wars yeah. thing. They'll give it to us something at some point, but I really want to see a Bothan. And we see Bosk for some reason? Yeah, apparently Bosk has become king of his planet. <laughs> okay, I guess. Thank you. I don't know. It could be one of those fealty things where like he, you know, he's given a position of power by the First Order in exchange for their loyalty or something. It's just, he seems so inconsequential to the greater universe. Like a lot of these <laughs> bounty hunters like Boba Fett and other guy, Dengar, mm. like these are just like scumbags that just walk around and collect bounties on people. And yeah. it, they don't, it's hard to believe they would actually care about anything besides money, like being a king. I don't know Bosk. I don't know Bosk personally, but it's just, seemed, <laughs> it's just like, this is, this is the fan service segment of the movie. One of the many fan service segments that they just felt compelled to incorporate um we got tatooine in this montage to like siblings sitting there watching the binary sons it's a montage what, what else can you say about it <laughs> no but yeah but kylo is able to like stop it uh he he sees like the i guess he see he looks up and he sees the light and he is able to stop it he um, uses the he dark does this side he... to squash the literal beams of light taking radio signals yeah it doesn't really make any sense but it's okay. It's Star Wars. Star Wars. Uh, the reason he's able to do this, it seems, is because he's he's gained all these new new powers, not by learning them necessarily from Torvalum. He he learned how to absorb life force 
from a being from Torvalum, which he then turns around and uses against him. So Torvalum is, is basically betrayed by Kylo. Bit of a Mary Sue, if you ask me, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Bit of a Mary Sue. Um, it reveals Mortis to him, so he's able to, to go and find Mortis, and that sort of brings us back into sync with, with Rey. So they're both heading to Mortis, and I really like the way that their arrival was written. Obviously, our exposure to Mortis is from the Clone Wars series when Obi-Wan and Ahsoka and, uh, and Anakin arrive on the, you know, the planet, the plane, whatever it may be. And the cool thing about this is, like, they sort of end up on opposite sides of Mortis, and they both each have to go on their own little journey across the planet. I just love the visual of that because uh, Mortis has, like, you know, their seasons happen very quickly and like there are different biomes where the planet just looks very different. It's just sort of like this idea that everything happens on Mortis all at the same time because it's like the the heart of the force. It's like where where the force comes from in some way. So I just really like picturing that in my head, you know, Ray arriving in the forest area on the western plane and and uh and Kylo arriving in the snowy region on on the western and both of them heading towards the temple at the center of it all. I just thought it was a very cool and poetic way for, for things to end up rather than both of them arriving on the same Sith planet at different times. You know, there there's less like poetry to that. There's less balance. It's just sort of like one is chasing after the other. I like the idea that they arrive at the same time and they meet in the temple at the same time. And there's just, you know, there's something very nice and comforting about the way that that last confrontation actually happens i would agree with that it's just nice to see like because i think part of my frustration with the mortis arc was that they're just like i don't know what happened they're just flying in space and they saw like this weird 3d triangle like a pyramid type shape or some some Mm -hmm. some geometric shape in three dimensions in the air and like our instruments aren't working we're getting sucked into it it was very star trekky yeah and then they just wind up on a fully fully like full planet and it's so nice to see like oh our instruments stopped working when you know Ray and and Kylo get there, and they just have difficulty getting there. It's it's very similar to how the it's hard to find uh, Exegol in Rise of Skywalker. You know you have to navigate yeah. these crazy paths to get there, and all these weird mm-hmm. sketchy hyperdrive jumps. Yeah, there's something similar to that, right? It even describes like Ray getting there. She used a very similar method. Meanwhile, while this is happening, we have the destruction of the Jedi Temple uh, on Coruscant, which is. It struck me as a very uh, Ryan Johnson kind of thing to do for Trevorrow. He's like, well, you know, if Ryan Johnson's going to toss a lightsaber over Luke's shoulder or whatever, or, like break it in half or something, I'm going to destroy the Jedi Temple. Like it, it's nice, and I, I applaud the destruction of the old stuff. It's a jolt to the nostalgic part of the viewer's brain, but also the symbolic thing to say it, it just sort of explains what's going on elsewhere, which is that really the Jedi haven't there. There hasn't been a Jedi in a long time because Rey is, is not a Jedi. She's something different. And that's sort of the idea that I think both of these versions of the movie try to get across. It's that there is something new. And so destroying the Jedi temple sort of makes that a lot more explicit. And that probably isn't what you would think when you first see it on screen. Uh, I think again, it's, it's more of like, Oh, Holy cow. Like that, that's like a secret place to us. Even if we didn't like the prequels, we understand like the symbolism that this, this place had and that it was still standing was, um, you know, a miracle in, in ways. And yeah, it is bold and it's cool. Like, why not blow it up, do it. And right before the Mortis thing starts, we, we also get this kind of standoff between Hux and Rose 
at some point, which hmm. I thought was gold. Yeah. Their dialogue is pretty back and forth and bantery. Like, because Hux is pretty much a joke at this point, you know, we, which he is in The Rise of Skywalker. Even, like, people in his own circles think so. Yeah, like, he, he's got the I'm the mole kind of moment in Rise of Skywalker. And in this, he's kind of got this weird force fetish going on. We see him at the beginning trying to move, like, a quarter with his mind. And someone's like, yeah. are you trying to use the force? And he's like, no, no. And he's just, like, really uh like frustrated about that obviously he's like a collector like that that kind of spoke to me a little bit because yeah. it reminds me of a lot of different characters that we've had in the books like uh who's that guy in um i was gonna say you reminded you of you well it sure. spoke to me in that way <laughs> yeah but there's there's like a there's like a collector in in one of those uh those george mann short story things the 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 dark legends book there's a collector and then um bloodline uh, there's one yeah bloodline uh ransom Kostrofo. he's basically like a nazi enthusiast yeah 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 that guy i like that idea that he has his, his little collection of things but that also and it's like his his quiet moments alone he's he does what every you know young boy as a fan of star wars and the jedi tries to do and, and tries to yeah. move quarters with his mind i love that uh, i feel like it could have turned into like the kind of your mama joke that happened at the beginning of the last jedi that a lot of fanboys didn't like but that i loved mm. so i i could see it going awry but i i was into it in a big way but that happens because like i mean the first is a, the mention of life day something like that to hux and whatever but then mm. we get this moment where hux tries to like jedi mind trick rose and she has this line that i think is so good a little time like a little like colloquial in terms of like the way she says it but she's like oh i mean like you're not special did you think you were special dude like you're mm -hmm. not special and i mean at all like Right. Like you are so tertiary to this plot and you were just an obstacle and a joke. It's just so funny. It's again, it's like, it's sort of like that literary device where like Poe is kind of saying to Ray, like, tell me about your past. It's like, let's spell out exactly what Hux is to this plot. But it's also nice because that person needs to have their worldview. Like Hux needs to have his worldview totally shattered to get to where he gets to in this movie. And he does. Mm -hmm. We got Lando set up in this. Oh, right. Like, they're like, well, how are we going to get like some help for this attack in Coruscant or whatever? Like, oh, I guess we're going to mm -hmm. have to get Lando involved, which seems sort of like, yeah. okay, I guess. That felt very lift and shift in a lot of ways to what we got in the movie, except that I think, I think Finn in this script can get more credit for the uprising than, yeah. than Lando could. I think Lando got way too much credit for bringing people to, Fully, to Exegol. Yeah. Also, another note is that, you know, throughout this whole thing, I think we mentioned before, Luke is is present in this movie in several contexts, and it's primarily that he appears as sort of a force ghost to multiple people. There are moments where Leia is talking to Luke before she, like, meets Lando. He's sort of following Kylo around the whole time. Yeah, we skipped that in the beginning. Like, his, he's just, like, ragging on Kylo as he's finding that holocron. He's like... You're, it's like you're not yeah. gonna win like it's i, I love the idea of an annoying force because it's like strike me down and i'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine it's like strike <laughs> me down and i'll become the most annoying old man that will ever bother you it's not like obi-wan kind of just like use the force luke it's like it's like hey kylo you suck it's like you suck yeah. you jackass from like happy gilmore you know it's just that guy hanging around all the time i love it i love it dude it's it's hard to say though Luke. i don't think he's actually appearing as a force ghost to either of them in that context it's not until VO. the end yeah it's just like voiceover yeah. so yeah. it is strange though because it's it's this is the first that we've had a force ghost that is interacting with multiple people in one time but it's like what are the rules of this can can they only glom onto one person at a time like how 
How does that really work? Um, why was Luke so it surprised to see that Ray yeah. was there at the end? Yeah, a lot of questions on on Force Ghosts as a result of this script. He, like he's able to grab a lightsaber at the end and yeah. and all that stuff. So we get these things called brute troopers, which mm. I thought mm-hmm. would have been a really clever. Like you remember how the iron gag happens in the Last Jedi, where the iron comes down. And you're like, what is this? And it's just a clotha iron. Yes. Yes. I feel like a good visual gag would have been with these brute troopers if they looked enough like Phasma to like show them and be like, what, Phasma's alive again? And it's like, no, it's not. It's just these just these things. Because like Phasma, yeah. the, the joke of Phasma is how useless it was. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of the in-joke, but the out-joke is that like she, she just kept surviving. Yeah, the brute troopers are like, I would like to see what these would have looked like on screen. Like, did we did we get brute troopers anything called specifically brute troopers i imagine that like or any movie inferno squad or whoever like probably like or some of the comics had like these troopers that kind of look bigger than the other ones so Mm. maybe they kind of look like that it's hard to say i'm thinking are you thinking dark troopers from like shadows of the empire era stuff no i have no idea what i'm talking about right now those big hulk and tank dudes i I don't know what i'm talking about at any time in my life (laughs) well brute troopers are apparently like these guys don't give like if there are moments throughout this script where you know stormtroopers look at what the brute troopers are doing and say, no, that's like too far. That's like up. Um, <laughs> a lot of beeping in this episode. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> so these guys are like, they're, they're more mercenaries than anything else. Like you, it seems like they pay these guys more to be bad. And then we get the more demonstrative Finn stuff, uh, where he's just like, this is my calling in life to free the, like to, to, to mm-hmm. lead the uprising, become the leader of the uprising people. Like, it's just a very much a like, okay, he realizes, here we go. It's like he, he realizes on while on course, not that like, Oh wow. There's like a lot of people here, like more than the first order and they still have weapons. Oh yeah. Okay. I see. They're getting put down because the first order is afraid of them. It's not, it's not that we're afraid of the first order. It's the other way around. Like he suddenly realizes the whole point (laughs) of resistance and somehow he's able to channel that into like getting this group of, of people hiding out these refugees to, to take up arms. It's, it's very much like the monorail guy in the Simpsons and the monorail episode, like guy shows up in town and he just leads an uprising. I, maybe it's like every other movie it's probably like a western movie kind of cliche uh what was that movie with the cg movie with a little iguana with johnny depp uh django or something like that or rango 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 he shows up and kind of leads an uprising it's something better but i still feel like we share the same view that he probably should have died in the last jedi and it would have meant more if they had written that properly i i'm inclined to agree uh this script felt like it was maybe going to do something like that, but then eventually straight from it. I don't know. Like at this point, it doesn't matter, right? Like it, this is supposed to be the end of the saga. Like I, I think it would it would be more of a credit to to add some weight by killing off some characters, and they just didn't. Well, that's why I think it. they should have fried R two permanently. Mm-hmm. I think R two should have just got got. I felt that. I mean, I definitely felt that more than I felt C three PO being wiped. You know what I mean? Also because of the script direction, which I have noted, and we'll get to that when it happens. But like. I think a lot of the the feeling that you and I got from reading that moment in this script was was due to that stage direction. But if you think about it, like when you when you think about it, you're like, what makes us more attached to R two D two than C three PO? It's that we know C three PO has been wiped before. Like it, that that wasn't such a huge deal 
in the movie for him to be wiped because it's happened once r2d2 is different because he is the only person who has been present and capturing data (laughs) throughout the entire saga he's been there for the whole thing and for him to be destroyed is like oh gosh wow like he was he's really been there it's not just being wiped it's it's really like obliterated like i would love it like c3po may have gotten wiped and may have gotten disassembled but he's never melted down his hard Mm -hmm. drive wasn't scrapped or whatever like chewy comes in and and picks him up and, and carries him just like he did for 3PO back in Yeah, Empire. it was a nice visual. Just kind of throwing him up his back or shoulder or whatever. Well, how 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 do you how do you carry hard 2D2? I mean, you kind of have to like hug him like a barrel. Yeah, it's it's over your shoulder, <laughs> very much a fireman carry maybe or like a okay. over the shoulder kind of like moving a keg or something if you're a strong yeah. strong man. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, moving on, we get we get some flashbacks from Ray calling back mm-hmm. like to her Family and I think this is also another missed opportunity to kind of subvert stuff going on. Like we think we see Ray's parents abandoning her again, and they're like, "No, we can't. Like we can't go. We can't bring her with us. It's too dangerous." And like something I was not expecting, and something I did not read about in my research on this script and whatever when it happened, when it came up before I read it, was that they do give us an origin for Ray, and it is mm-hmm. pretty much what I called in the first time we speculate about Rey's origins. She mm-hmm. is a nobody, so that's in line with Last Jedi, but she is a she was a Force sensitive and they were being hunted down by the Knights of Ren. And the reason Rey's parents dropped her off on Jakku was because they were hiding her from the Knights of Ren. And mm-hmm. part of that is cool cuz like okay, they love their kid and they're saving it. But I was thinking it might have been a cooler thing if the parents were still cowards and drunks, just like Kylo Ren said. And they were scared of Rey and they were trying to get her away. They were trying, they felt they would be killed also if they were found near Rey. So they abandoned Rey on Jakku. And I feel like that Mm. would have been a better device to keep, to not retcon The Last Jedi because like mm-hmm. basically that makes Kylo Ren a liar. He's like your parents were nothing. They were space trash. They were they sold you for drinking money and like Right. It would be cool if that was still kind of true rather than just a lie that Kylo Ren told her. Cuz it cuz it makes it cuz he was trying to level with her. It would make more sense, right? It's not like He was trying to level with 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 Rey. He wasn't trying to fool her into thinking she was meant to rule the galaxy with him. He was really trying to get her on his side and be honest with her. And so to make that just a lie still, that like mm-hmm. he killed them and he was hunting them the whole time, like, first of all, the age difference, Kylo Ren is like 28 and Ray was like 16. So he would have been like a young teenager when he murdered her parents, I guess. Yeah, some of the timeline stuff does seem a little wonky, but... Well, it makes sense. Like, he's per- he's certainly capable and he was powerful, but, like, it's weird to think about, like, when exactly did him and Luke have the falling out? When did he have... When did he join the Knights of Ren? And like, it's really hard to say. Yeah. Because like, it would have to be, I think that timeline would have to be revised. Like, it's it's certainly not something that I think would go easily by the story group for them to say. Because I've read the Kylo Ren comic book mm-hmm. and like, it's not really clear how old he is when he defects to Snoke. So the question on that would be like, okay, if if her parents really did drop her off to to save her, yeah, like what Kylo said also being true would have to be the case because otherwise it's not like they're the ones that are drawing attention you know presumably it would be her drawing the attention because she is force sensitive like the her ability to to use the force could potentially be the danger it's not that her parents are the ones that are being looked for necessarily so 
them leaving her there is only protecting her so far as, you know, she's alone. She maybe presumably wouldn't have to use the force or wouldn't, you know, potentially learn anything about the force from her parents. Like them leaving her sort of does fit your your idea, which is that they're also trying to save themselves. (laughs) They're like, well, we'll dump her there, but we're also going to we're going to ditch because whatever, which is a lot more sinister like that. That feels a lot less true it's sinister and it's it's dark it's it's dark and but i think that's what this needs i think like if we're gonna believe ray is truly like a a balanced character of like dark and light side then we gotta believe she comes from some darkness and like has some of that that because like the altruistic you know hero is like sure fine give me captain america you know sometimes but like it's much more interesting if like her darkness comes from you know, non-force-sensitive parents who just, you know, imparted something onto her, you know, like being abandoned, if like in a bad way, not saved. Like the parents love, like a parent saving their child out of love versus desperation are two very different things. And I feel like, you know, in the scope of the force, they could really, it could have an effect on her. And I think it's much more interesting for them to abandon her. But that's, 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 you know, again, there's just a script this is all, it's not canon, so it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. It's slowly becoming yeah. my head canon, though. <laughs> uh, we get a Han flashback, which I think is completely unnecessary, just an excuse to get Harrison Ford in, more so than it was in The Rise of Skywalker. I think The Rise of Skywalker Han thing works, and I liked it. It wasn't the worst part of the movie. But this one is just like, it's, it's, I mean, it's a part that I guess canonically can't exist now because I think after he abandoned the temple, he didn't go back to see Han and Leia as far as I know, he just went to find the Knights of Ren and be with Snoke and train with him mm-hmm. or whatever. So I don't think there was actually, there could possibly be a, a situation where Han and Ben Solo were just like in a hallway being like, Snoke's just messing with you, man. And Ben's like, nah, I don't want to be who you want me to be, dad. And son, give me the lightsaber. And he's like, I'll give you the lightsaber. And then it cuts to the catwalk from Force Awakens or something like that. And we just see that whole scene again. It just seemed like a you know artsy kind of flashback kind of thing i I feel like they're both very similar i mean they both convey the the same thing like i just don't see the need for it they're both going through something like we're we're seeing a juxtaposition with uh kylo dealing with you know his parents and also ray dealing with flashbacks of her own parents as they make their way across mortis like that's something that we know about mortis mortis shows people things to test them and they're making their way to the temple and and they're seeing these visions and they're they're it's basically making them so emotionally raw <laughs> that when they yeah, finally yeah. meet, it's going to be like a much bigger point of tension. Then this all, like Ray's parentage or lineage or whatever gets revealed to her by Kylo once they confront each other, right? Mm-hmm. We have this moment, this line like from Ray where she's like, well, deep down, I've always known you killed them, basically, is what she says mm-hmm. to Kylo Ren, which I I take huge issue with because I think... When someone says deep down, I've always known the truth about you, I think the only time that that saying is effective is when the audience is not also being revealed to that truth. Like, it's much more interesting to me to see a character come into knowledge that the audience already possesses and being like, well, no, I always knew that. Like, because you're either seeing a denial or like an intelligence on their part that the audience thought they were only keen to. But in this case, the audience, we just never knew that Kylo Ren could have possibly murdered Ray's parents. So it's like her saying, deep down, I always knew. It's like, it just doesn't do anything for the audience. It's like, we're all still floored 
it's kind of how you're supposed to feel when Kylo Ren's like, you're Palpatine's granddaughter. It's like the same mm-hmm. feeling. If, if she had said, deep down, I always knew, it's like, well, no, you, you probably didn't. Like, I don't believe that you always knew. Like, the signs weren't there. So it, it comes out of left field is basically my point, is that, like, when something comes out of left field and someone says, I've always known, it's just so nothing to me because, yeah, I mean, how could you have always known? Like, what inside of you would have known that Kylo Ren killed your parents? What inside of you would have known that you were related to Palpatine? Not that they use that in Rise of Skywalker, but it's just a similar idea to a reveal. Mm -hmm. You know, it's better to have a denial. I'm sure that Trevorrow wanted to write, no, it's not true. That's impossible. You know, like, (laughs) but that was already used, so he couldn't do it. But I think, well, (laughs) she needed to say something. So this is what they chose. It, It feels wrong for her to admit that she's always felt that way when she's never shown that on screen and the audience has never had any indication that she always felt that way. Like it always felt like she was very optimistic towards Kylo. Like that's kind of the vibe that we got in the last Jedi, even after he killed his father, she felt very optimistic about him. And even at the beginning of the script, she says something to the same effect to Leia, like it's not too late. And Leia's not even sure. Leia's pretty much given up all hope on Kylo. Um, but Ray isn't ready to do that just yet. And and so it this is sort of a juxtaposition of that where it's like, okay, well, if you're going into this feeling that way, there's still some hope for Kylo. And then here, like you you make this accusation of this thing that you've always known. It it does feel wrong, but she does make him say it, right? Like even if she feels like it could be true, she has to hear him say those words. She says, You killed my parents, Kylo says, You blame me for your life on Jakku, you should thank me for it, you were safe. And Ray says, Say it, did you kill them? Kylo says, I did. And that's when she absolutely explodes. Like once she knows that truth for sure, like a blast of force energy actually emanates from her. Uh, and it's kind of a cool image of like, you know, they're standing on this temple mound and there's loose rocks everywhere. And this, this happens and it just completely clears it. You know, it's just that, that visual mm. probably from a tall shot where all of that, you know, just emanates from her in a circle and, and completely clears the floor. I see it as a parallel to, uh, perhaps your sister or like a sister, you know, when Vader says that to Luke on the Death Mm -hmm. Star too, like it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an incendiary moment. So this, this ignites that fight. This is when they, they really go at it. They fight. We get, and then we're cutting back to the battle on Coruscant starting. Uh, we got Leia in Akbar's chair. Many sad faces there, uh, were had because I miss Admiral Akbar a lot. Uh, we get Chewbacca in an X-Wing. That's what I really want to see. I, I, again, that's the second part of the, my price of admission being totally satisfied is we have the clay pigeon mm-hmm. uh, and we have Chewbacca flying an X-Wing. Like, I mean, how does he fit into that cockpit? Exactly. That's the thing. I have no doubt that he can fly it super well if he could get in it. This whole thing is weird. Like Poe races towards the Falcon, Chewie and BB-8 follow. And then Poe turns around and says, no, we don't have enough pilots. Get out there and do some damage. And Chewbacca goes, brah. And Poe says, I don't know. Pick one. That doesn't make any sense to me. If they're all running to the Falcon, doesn't it make sense for Chewie to be the one in the Falcon and Poe Dameron, ace pilot, to be in the X-Wing? Like, shouldn't they be in the ships that they're most familiar with? This is the liberty that he was taking. Like... This is true. I was like, nah, we're going to, we're going to mess it up here. And I like it. You know what? Like you're totally right that it makes complete sense for the reverse to happen. I'm, maybe there's something in the script we're missing as to why that couldn't happen. 
but I mean, it's fun. It just doesn't like the setup for it doesn't make sense. If they're both, if they're running to the ships, like it would make sense for Chewbacca to run to his ship and Poe to run to one that he knows how to fly better than anybody else in the entire galaxy. Like, I think if this ever made it to to like shooting, they would have had to revise this. And so like, they would have gotten a storyboard and been like, all right, well, this doesn't make sense. So can we <laughs> kind of figure this out? They're like, okay, um, we just need to get Poe out of the ship before Chewie and on the yeah. Falcon and then have and Chewie I mean, be mad about Poe taking the Falcon without him and we need to him. And he just takes the X-Wing because he has to. <laughs> like, if you think about this entire scene from Chewbacca's point of view, Chewbacca is told, no, you can't get in your own ship. So he gets in a, an X-Wing. He does just fine. He does a great job. And then what follows is Chewie is shot and Poe basically destroys the Falcon by flying it through the legs of a walker. So good. <laughs> I, I, I would love to see all this stuff. It sounds so awesome. You get a lot of uh, Coruscant action in the video games, like Battlefront primarily. Most of the Battlefront games have some sort of stage set in on Coruscant. And those are always fun because it's, you know, it's like close quarters battles in a city. You'll turn a corner and there will be a walker there or even better, you get to be in the walker and shooting stuff down. Yeah, yeah. It is a pretty cool battle stage. Um, I imagine this would look pretty cool on film. Yeah. Very similar in yeah. chaos and, and like kind of, it's just like a battle. It's a battle battle and it's an urban battle. And those are always kind of interesting. It's like in Dark Knight Rises, like they have that like weird like gorilla fighting that's going on between people. I don't remember the plot of that movie, but I just remember some the scenes of Pittsburgh. They have people on the streets like just doing some weird guerrilla warfare stuff. Yeah, I mean, we get a lot of good stuff in this last action scene. It's a lot more gratifying to me than Rise of Skywalker. We get a great, 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 great deep pull from Star Wars Legends uh, where the capital on Coruscant, the capital city is actually a giant ship. <laughs> <laughs> Dun this is a reference to X-Wing, the series, uh, in which there's a super star destroyer that's a prison that's buried deep within Coruscant. So, I mean, as far as anybody in the books know, the prison is there's a prison on Coruscant called Lusankia, and people get taken there. But it turns out that it's actually a super star destroyer buried in the crust of the planet that takes off and you know, leads to another arc of the series. But um, yeah, it's just a great pull and a great idea. And I'm glad and seeing it visualized would be like, I, I hate to say it, but I do feel like it would be sort of like Transformers-esque in a way where that that franchise just shows like massive things happening on like planet level scales and a Star Destroyer rise out of Earth would have been kind of cool or city, I guess, in this case, because the planet's a giant city. Rose's part in this is pretty great. Like she's the one who discovers uh, that, you know, the 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 city or the capital ship or whatever is is a ship and um, yeah and so she gets to kind of handle this on her own which is again kind of going back to what i said like they're able to redeem that terrible dialogue at the beginning because it gives her something to do that's actually pretty badass well yeah and, and again uh we got some great stage direction from the writers here uh when it's when like people are not really getting the bigger picture and rose is about this mm -hmm. capital ship um she's like it says Rose rolls her eyes about to save everyone's ass. Like it's just <laughs> such a, such a good line. Cause it's not in the movie. It's, but it's, yeah. it's the truth and it's what you're thinking. It's what you're supposed to learn from this scene. And I love that mm -hmm. it, it's a, it gives, it's like, you know, like 
you have all these stage directions for like fights and stuff like that. Very rarely mm-hmm. do you see a stage direction like they fight and now Ray is somebody different after the fight because she electrocuted a guy to death. You know, with this kind of stage direction, you see, you get to understand the writers have intent behind Rose's action. It's mm-hmm. not just Rose being a badass. It's like Rose is like rolls her eyes because she knows she's superior to these people and she's literally saving the day. Yeah, I love it. It it gives her it gives her agency. <laughs> and then like in the process of doing that and saving everybody's ass, she needs BB-8 to carry like a USB drive or something from one yeah. side of the battle to the other. And we see a really great opportunity. And this is just again something I'm seeing in my head. I'm sure it could be shot multiple ways, but I'm seeing a great mm. one shot in my head yeah. of BB-8. Yeah, like a tracking shot moving BB-8 across the battlefield, the various, like maybe like, a, like I don't know how long is long in film, but like a couple minutes just of him moving through a giant battle scene with like... Around wreckage, you know, under Yeah, like Walker's ships legs, crashing you know, overhead. Kinds of stuff. Yeah. We get, you know, various insurgents rising up, like the people of Coruscant rising up, the stormtroopers coming in, fighting the brute troopers. But we also, I mean, this would be a good, this would be that good moment in the movie to show like the good guys losing, you know, like, or like the the downside of the battle, like where all hope is lost. Cause I think they do get to that point, but you don't, they don't really harp on it too hard. And then we get the um, R2-D2 death. Yes. Which is not a true death. Yeah. Is it ever really like it? it in the sort of the same way that Lando Calrissian's droid is not really dead because it becomes one with the Falcon. Um, they take that hard drive and they give it to BB eight. Cause I guess he has an extra slot so he can complete the job. Yeah. And then later in the film or in the script, like near the end, there is a shot that would actually be kind of cool, which is Leia taking the hard drive and putting it back into the, the restored body for R2 D2 sort of in the same fashion as when she, uh, you know, gave that original message to the droid at the beginning of Star Wars. Trevorrow has this line in the script, uh, again, another stage direction, where he's just saying, like, it's basically describing the look that C-3PO uh, gives to, like, like you. it's basically saying, like, we've never seen this type of emotion from C-3PO before. And it's like, I've never seen any emotion from him before. But it is interesting to think about the way that they would have conveyed that to the audience about, like, like maybe just like a, a bracket, like a like a rack focus as he turns and faces like the other people in the shot or something like that, or like not a zoom, but like a like a like focusing in on C three PO in a way to kind of give it some weight. There's a million ways to do it, but it's just a, a weird puzzle to me to think about how they would make a droid look like he's never looked before and look like he's lost his best friend of sixty years. You know, it's mm-hmm. like it's a it's a it's an interesting puzzle, and I would have loved to see it because I think Abrams. Probably, if Abrams ever got to see this script, because I know that they worked in conjunction because Trevorrow at one point in an interview, he was like, no, like Palpatine was never in my draft of the script. So it's something they kind of, they kind of pulled out on their own, meaning like they knew that Trevorrow wasn't doing it. So I feel like they, they knew what was happening and what he had set up. So I feel like they were like, well, we need to give C-3PO like a moment to really just, you know, like get the audience on his, like on the verge of tears. And I don't think they landed that at all. It just mm. became a, a humor device, you know. There was also a moment with C three PO where he had to like destroy a droid, right? Didn't he have to like basically dismember a a BB eight unit or something? I don't know about the script, but in in a book, he has to like a droid sacrifices himself and gives him that red arm. Remember he in the, no no no, a, no no I'm talking about in this script C three PO doesn't he have to like doesn't he have to do something that he can't like square like he's not that kind of droid? I don't know if that happened earlier in this or what. I can't remember. It's a blur. 
<laughs> it was it was a minor thing. Like obviously the the droid storyline in this is not the the focal point. Um, but I thought that was a weird thing too. If there wasn't a smug stage direction, then it truly didn't stick in my brain at all. <laughs> oh yeah, I just found it. It's on uh, it's on page ninety nine in the script. No, not too far back. A first order astromech droid R eight zero eight rolls to a scop terminal on the side of a flip tank and plugs in. R two beeps urgently. C three PO. He's sending a distress signal. Stop him. Nobody's listening to C three PO. R2 beeps furiously. C3PO, me, I'm not programmed for violence, R2. And then he has to go over there. He says, I do apologize for this. He reaches into the droid's innards and pulls circuits out. R808 beeps in distress, adding to C3PO's horror. Please go quietly. (laughs) That's so funny. Shh, shh, shh. He's like, like, go to sleep now. Go to sleep now. Yeah, that, these are these are good scenes and yeah. much better than we got in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Then we get back to uh, Ray and Kylo mm-hmm. getting ready. Oh, they're dueling at this point. She's they're they're fully into it. And they fight. Kylo Ren bests her. Yeah, it sort of it fulfills her vision. It her vision comes to light. He sort of strikes her down in a way, which is really just him swiping her face with his saber, um, which ends up blinding her. And then he goes into the temple. And he finds nothing, like an empty tomb, right? Yeah, he uh, he he like opens up this cover, which is supposed to be like a fo- like what, like a well into the force or something, and it's completely empty. And and that's when Luke appears again to Agamon. So he-, he goes, "The force was really in you the whole time, Kylo." No, he doesn't do that. <laughs> He's like, "No, you lost, Ben." <laughs> Old annoying Luke coming back to just taunt Kylo one more time, and he appears. This is when he appears as actual Force Ghost Luke. And we get some interesting physical interaction here. Yeah, Luke catches the blade. Uh, well, you know, Kylo fires up his saber and attacks, and Luke catches the blade with his gloved hand, stopping it in midair, stronger than Kylo could possibly imagine. I, I'm, I'm thinking back to The Last Jedi, where a lot of new Force stuff got, you know, added to canon. Like, there was a lot of new stuff, and we talked about it in our review there. Was there anything where a Force ghost actually interacted with something in the physical world? I feel like there... There was. Calling the lightning down to strike the, the tree and burn the sacred texts. Yeah, but wasn't there something like more physical that I I feel like I'm just not remembering somehow? No, you're thinking of Rise of Skywalker when Luke's force ghost catches the lightsaber. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, okay, so this is the same idea here. You're right, that, that is what I was thinking of. So he, it's the same idea, and I think it's it's better explained here. Like, not that it was... You can kind of hand wave over this kind of thing. It doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. But if you're interested in sort of the the history of um, force abilities, it's like, how could you explain this happening? And I feel like you could probably explain a force ghost having some more abilities on Mortis mm-hmm. than, you know, on Octu or wherever that may be. So I think kind of th- that's probably the idea of what's happening here on Mortis. He ha- does have some abilities and and Kylo is surprised by this, but he says, I'll be stronger than any Skywalker has ever been. And their faces are inches away, separated by the red blade. And Luke says, you are no Skywalker, which is a pretty poignant line. And that's when it cuts back to Rey. And this also gives a really great chance to Luke uh, and Mark Hamill to kind of do some more Luke in. Because, you know, Mark Hamill is pretty vocal about how weirded out he was by the treatment of Luke in Last Jedi, which is, you know, but he also is also... This is also not publicized as much as his previous comments, but he's also very understanding of what happened and why it happened. And he may not have agreed with it all the way, but he understands why it had to happen. And he did it. 
and in this, you kind of get to see the Luke that we wanted to see. You know, he's not doing backflips and whatever, uh, and and being totally insane. Mm-hmm. But he is doing. He's being righteous, and he's being. He's taunting the bad guy, and he's getting the upper hand. So it's nice to see all mm-hmm. this stuff because he's just yeah. a force ghost in Rise of Skywalker, really, and catches a lightsaber and kind of just talks a little bit, green screened in. It didn't really work. Yeah. For he, me. Well, he fits in more of a Yoda role. Yeah. And so Ray sort of, you know, she she wakes up, she's blind. This is where it gets weird because like she wakes up and then it cuts back again to Luke and his ex- expression changes because he senses her. I, I think I may have read this wrong the first time. Like he didn't know <laughs> that Ray was on Mortis. I think it's more that he didn't know that Ray was alive. <laughs> I think he probably thought that she was killed by Kylo just then. I think we're supposed to think she's pretty dead too. Yeah. And so his expression changing there sensing her is is like a that's when he tells kylo like us he's he's talking about us you can't defeat us and us meaning the jedi the jedi all he says we're connected all living things the force surrounds us he says a lot of the the same like forcey platitudes that we've heard before uh but it kind of gives the same idea as what we got in the rise of skywalker with like the voices of the jedi kind of coming behind ray and supporting her she fights palpatine there are a lot of similar beats here it all feels very similar i think the execution is different and i think that's where like the contention is going to remain between this script and what we got it's like okay i think the story of both of these is good it's just where is the focus is the focus on the force or is the focus on palpatine as the big bad guy and it's a really hard question to answer is like, which which was the right way to go? And this script ends out with Ray. I, I don't know. I kind of think of this scene as the ending of the movie, really, where yeah. Ray, you know, faces off against Kylo again. She's blind this time. She lets the force guide her. Obviously, you know, everybody in the force, all the Jedi and whatever, they're all like supporting her. It, it ends up with her, the last Jedi rising. She uses a strip of cloth to to blindfold her eyes and says no one is no one like it reinforces all these ideas that we've been learning about ray and eventually she kind of bests kylo with goodwill i don't know how do, how did you really read this scene because well leia came to the rescue well yeah there's like a bunch of calling out like a bunch of people are calling out to ray and she receives that you know she's able to hear poe and, and finn kylo and, drains the life out of ray yeah he drains the living force out of her. Which is sort of, uh, that's kind of what happens in Rise of Skywalker. Right. And then everybody, like Leia comes to him and mm-hmm. calls to him and he ultimately succumbs to his mother's wishes. Like she touches him in a certain way. I don't really get it, I guess, but that's the climax of the film really is that Leia's like, Ben, stop it. Ben. She's like, help us. Right. It's like, come, come on, come back, come home, help us. And it's like, why did it reach, reach her this time? Did it just feel, yeah, did he feel like so helpless and like his, his task was, was so fraught and, you know, Luke really got to him. Like he, just... he went this far. He came mm-hmm. this far. Maybe it would be better if it was Ill, like, if he was just left there with a lifeless ray in his hand and he realized he killed the one person that was ready to love him in a certain way, you know, like mm-hmm. maybe there's ways to illustrate this without dialogue or stage direction. I mean, stage direction, I guess, would be necessary. But I think that it's probably likely that a lot of expression and kind of the aftermath of Ray being killed in this moment, or essentially, would have to play out in his face. And then if it was right in that right moment, it's kind of like when Leia distracts Ben Solo, a.k.a. Kylo Ren, Mm -hmm. um, when they're on the Death Star wreckage. 
you know, she's like Ben and it gives Ray a moment to slice him or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then does she take the power back from him or does he give it back to her? Um, so they take each other's hand. The living force flows back into her. He gives it back to her. It sounds like I would saying that he has to give it back to her because he's weekend spent the last moments of his life when he utters her last name, which is Solana, which is like, okay, it doesn't really matter. Well, no, this does matter to me because it validates me. <laughs> well, sure. I mean, yeah, but like we didn't need her to have a last name to validate that she was no one. Like that was sort of reinforced. Yeah, the name is arbitrary. Yeah. The name is arbitrary. You're right. But at the same time, the, the name is like the bookend essentially to her character. It is, it's a door, like we've left this open and we are being like, door closed. She is not a Skywalker. She is not a Palpatine. She is not a Kenobi. She is Rey Solana, one of the many Force-sensitive people in the galaxy that were hinted at in Last Jedi. It's it's just giving a name to something. And I know we say what's in a name all the time on this show. We've never said that, but it's more of like a, I'm okay. It's, it's a harmless name. It's not like you know, Turd Ferguson or something that she got called. It's not a distracting last name. No, it's a very Star Wars name. In fact, it seemed so similar that I had to Google it <laughs> to make sure it wasn't actually a reference to something. You have soul like the sun, but you also have soul uh, like like alone. Uh, and nah is kind of like a Ray Solana. And it kind of sounds like solo and... Um... Yeah, which is very interesting to me because solo is not his actual name, mm-hmm. uh, but it's close. Also kind of sounds like Sana, like Sana Staros, that first wife of, of Han Solo or whatever, the person that claimed to be married to Han Solo in the comics. Yeah. It's a good last name, and I like it, and I'm glad that he gives it to her because it just gives her definition. Because if he had died without telling her, I mean, maybe a Force ghost would have come along and be like, oh, BT-dubs, your uh, you're Solana is your last name. Found your birth certificate on uh, Coruscant. I mean, it is, it is nice. That way she can get on you know, spaceancestry.com and, and do a little <laughs> yep. bit of research. <laughs> really track down... Uh, her relatives. She's got a great uncle somewhere on Tatooine. I do like Kylo being the bad guy in this. I mm. like him being the ultimate a lot. I think yeah. there was ways, like we said earlier, to make Palpatine part of his arc. Yeah. Without having Palpatine, it puts more of the focus on Rey, which is cool. It also really kind of puts in place that Snoke was strong, uh, powerful in his own way, but not as strong as Palpatine, which... Mm-hmm. gives Kylo the ability to become the big bad. It it just changes the entire tone of Menace over the sequel trilogy and over the saga. And so that's really what I, I come back to. It's like, what were the main differences? It's like, okay, yeah, Rey was no one. She wasn't a Palpatine. She wasn't a Kenobi. She wasn't a Skywalker. She wasn't a Solo. She wasn't, you know, anybody that we needed to know about prior. She, you know, she didn't have, like, her family previously had no bearing on the greater story that's told in the Skywalker saga, which makes her special and that i think that's probably where the studio got nervous i think the studio probably got nervous with it ending on somebody that wasn't a skywalker because they put so much into the marketing of this being the skywalker saga right this is the end this is the the ninth part of the skywalker saga it needs to bring some closure to that and because they already lost luke and the only other skywalker they have left is leia and her son it, it's difficult because you can't you can't put the focus on Kylo unless you want to completely redeem him. And this does redeem him in the same way that the Rise of Skywalker did. It's just I think the studio was very confused on where the focus should be, because the more that I think about this script for the Duel of, Duel of the Fates and 
the rise of Skywalker, the, the beats are so similar. They really are. Like there are a lot of cool moments that happened in this movie that didn't happen in the rise of Skywalker, you know, stuff around the ships and maybe stuff with Poe, uh, and, and Ray, there are definite differences between the two, but there are also a lot of similarities, which is probably why, you know, Connolly and Trevorrow maintain script writing credits on the movie, even though basically none of this appeared on screen. It's because those core ideas are there. A lot of it is very similar. It's just the execution and the channels for which those ideas were executed were very different. Instead of Palpatine, it was Mortis and Torvalum and Kylo. But really, those ideas are, are still the same. The biggest change it really is just who is Rey. And that that was the question from day one when we, you know, when we saw that first trailer. It's like, who is Rey? That question remained throughout the entire sequel trilogy. And we have two very different answers here. And I think that's where people have to decide. It's like, okay, which which one is better? And you've got to decide which way is better for you on what Ray really was. And for me, I'm I think it probably would have been better if she was no one. I, I think it's hard to argue that. I think it, it would have been more impactful, it would have been more hopeful, and it would have opened up whatever comes after this saga as you know, more possibilities because the the Jedi are gone and this this script ends with basically like Ray disappears for a certain amount of time. We're not really sure. Yeah. She goes into limbo and she talks about how it's like her choice to go back or not. Did you can happen? We, can to... we, can we talk about this for a second? Because okay, yeah. this is, this is, I think the... you had a note. <laughs> this is just Harry Potter. Yeah, it is Harry Potter. <laughs> I don't understand how Colin Trevorrow and Connolly Derek, I just don't know how they could write this with a straight face. This is what I'm talking about. Like when I say like they wrapped up this script, like I feel like they got to a point in this script where they're like, we're not getting this movie. We're let's finish this. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. And they just rip off Harry Potter in such a big way. She comes, she's in an either world, like kind of King's Cross station. Mm-hmm. I don't, there was no baby Kylo Ren in a crib that she had to deal with <laughs> or whatever, like crying. Baby Snoke. Mutant. Yeah. There's no baby Snoke in a, in a thing, but it was just like she's talking to these characters, aka Dumbledores, who's just like, mm-hmm. "Well, you really did it. You really balanced the Force. It was a great job. You weren't a Jedi and you weren't a Sith, and you kind of made yeah. something new. Great job." And Ray's like, "Am I dead?" And which is just Harry Potter. And they're like, "Oh, you're kind of dead, but you're not really. You got to choose, though. You can come mm-hmm. hang out with us in Spirit Land, or you can go back to the place you came from, and cut to whatever else is happening in the world." Yeah. Well, Chewie gets his medal. <laughs> yeah, Chewie gets his medal. Um, we skipped over a really important part of this, which is when Hux's Hux's fate, the stage <laughs> direction is underlined in the script uh, and in lowercase letters. He lost the Star Wars, <laughs> which is just so good. And then he commits seppuku using yep. uh, Mace Windu's lightsaber. It's implied. It doesn't say it in the stage direction, but it is a purple saber, and there has never well, been a there's purple only saber. One. Yeah. There's especially this shade of purple. Um, not that we see it, but you have to just believe. Yeah. And I don't stop believing. We get Chewie getting a medal, like you mentioned. Uh, they change the dice for something else. What do they replace it with? Oh, they take Ray's beacon and and okay. hang it up. Yeah, I thought that was kind of that. I think that probably would have gotten that would be like a, de- a deleted scene or something. Like yeah, it's just as arbitrary as the dice to me because, like we've said many times, I never even picked up on the dice being a thing until, and I had no idea what happened in the Last Jedi when those were hung up on the the Falcon. They weren't even hung up on the Falcon, right? They were given to Leia, so presumably she would have given them back to whoever she would have hung them up herself. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really know. have no clue. 
I don't care about the dice. Then we have uh, like the the party afterwards, and uh, everyone's eating cake, and R two D two his projection. He they fire up the projector and they get, you know, the I've had the time of my life, and they just kind of play all the the greatest hits of Star Wars in a little thing. From his I point don't of view. think that would have made the final cut of the film either. Yeah. Again, this is just one more nail in the coffin on they had no clue what was happening at the end of the script. They were just throwing yeah. everything like, and a montage right at the end where we show it. And that very much to me spoke of like, uh, it's very much in Avengers. Like they saw Endgame. Well, Endgame was probably in production at this point anyway. So mm-hmm. yeah, this just struck me as a very like, well, we're ending a saga now mm-hmm. and this is how you end it with a flashback, right? Right, you don't just end a movie. You well, like a whole montage of flashbacks and and, sure. and everything again from the end of the the Ray Kylo interaction. Everything after this just felt so boring and dumb to me. Like this would this would be the point in the theater where it's my third time watching this in theaters, and I'm actually just kind of waiting for the credits to roll so I can go home. You're on your phone. Yeah, I'm like row. already ready. Like, yeah, I've already gotten the gist of this. There's nothing left to gain. Um, we're just getting glimpses of like Leia looking at the stars and feeling <laughs> peace. And and then, you know, there's like a bit where uh, Finn and Rose or something, they, they like set up a, it's not even like a Jedi Academy. It's just like a place where all of the force sensitive kids can hang out. And you got the broom boy there. The broom boy. <laughs> Love yeah, it. it's... I don't know. It just sets up like the legend of Ray and Ray. Then Ray appears. It's just like, I don't know. It's, it just feels very corny. Uh, it feels like this probably would have made it. Like, I can't imagine that this would have made it to screen because it just doesn't feel 100%. This is 3 a.m. Night before the script is due at 9 a.m. They're just like, well, okay, what are we doing? And they're just yeah. trying to get this, the end of this thing down. And so I, I read that wrong uh, at the end there where it says Ray, uh, Rose and Finn are kind of just hanging out on like a farm or whatever. I thought they had children. I thought that we were like past, like many oh, years no. past. And no. I thought they, they had some kids and they're just like, and then Finn is like, don't worry, Ray will be back someday. Like, I'm sure she'll be back. And like Rose mm-hmm. is like right there who's like, professor love for finn i don't think he's saying that in a romantic way he's saying it to these kids because like they're all force sensitive it even says underlined these children are force sensitive yeah i don't know it, it's it felt very dumb um i don't know the, the, the ending of it didn't matter to me like as far as i was concerned it was over when kylo passed and, and that was that sure that told the whole story that's all that we needed so yeah i don't know i i think i kind of said my bit on like what i think the differences are and you know what i what i liked more i i like I like both of the the stories as they are. I I do like a lot of the parts for the Palpatine version that we saw in the Rise of Skywalker. I like a lot of the the more lore focused stuff and Ray focused stuff that we got in Duel of the Fates. I don't know. I think I, I would have been equally happy and disappointed with both of them coming to screen. Um, I I probably fall more on the happy end for both of them. Honestly, like I wouldn't have been disappointed if either of these would have been what we got in, in theater. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's cool that we have this and that we can read it. There are a lot yes. of Star Wars scripts out there that we, you know, have not read, have not seen. I mean, the question that comes to mind when we get to the end of this marathon of an episode that was longer than the movie would have been itself is like, what do you do with this? Like what, what, what is the existence of this? Like how, when a writer or somebody leaks this to the world, right? I'm really just asking, like, 
like where where does this go from here? Is it just a PDF that gets passed around? And what do you tell people yeah. when it gets there? It's like this is the way it was supposed to be, or this is what mm. it could have been. Is this as you say this is the way I want it to be? I have an answer to that, uh, but I'll let you go first if you have any <laughs> opinions. I mean, this isn't the first Star Wars script to have appeared online, right? And I'm not talking about Connor Ratliff's fake scripts from the <laughs> Ryan Johnson days. I'm I'm talking like even the original saga, like we we have early versions of those scripts where things are very different. They're just cool artifacts. Like this is a piece of the story. The film that was produced and we saw on screen wouldn't have existed if it wasn't for this script. Like as we've seen reading through this, like there are a lot of similar ideas. J.J. Abrams didn't come up with that stuff from scratch. He read this, the studio read this. They said there's parts of this that we like. Whatever happened with Colin Trevorrow is really not important because what happened happened and this script plays a part in that that we get to read that is interesting and it's unique because that's not how it's supposed to be like we're not supposed to have this so that we do and that we have the opportunity to read it to read it actually gives us that opportunity to talk about the differences and and talk about what could have been different and what bearing it would have had on the saga at large and and that's just a cool thing i mean for me i feel like the future of this script is just that it's an artifact and it would be kind of cool. And I was thinking about this the other day. I was, I was making dinner the other night and just thinking like, what would be the way to really see this play out on screen? And I feel like this is just perfect for some, you know, some filmmaker, not like a fan filmmaker in their backyard with a super small budget to try to recreate this. That would just be terrible. Um, but this is so ideal for somebody who wants to make an animated film like an anime or you know some style of animation to fill out their portfolio like this would be such a massive undertaking to do like to recreate a full feature-length film using this script uh in animation but that would give them so much cred like they would get hired so fast if they were to do this Mm -hmm. and do it well i think that would be a really cool way to bring this kind of thing to light one man teams of VFX artists have made feature length films before. Like mm-hmm. there's some really amazing one person feature films that are that are amazing. Yeah. So it's certainly possible that somebody could do this. I see it as a graphic novel. Yep. That's where I was gonna go next. Yeah. I mean yeah. this is something that we've seen before. Like the original Star Wars script, the Star Killer script, that was adapted by Dark Horse into a graphic novel. Um, the same thing for the original Alien 3 script by William Gibson. That that was tra- that was, you know, taken in and created into a graphic novel by Dark Horse as well. Dark Horse probably doesn't have the rights to do this anymore. <laughs> but if anybody <laughs> would, like they've been known to do it very well. So I would love to see a graphic novel version of this, but I don't know. I don't see it happening under the the Disney era. It's a great glimpse into what it could have been. I think personally, I have no desire to rewatch Rise of Skywalker, (laughs) maybe someday, but I really don't. And in a way, like this is supplanting what happened in it and not in like a mean, like I don't like it way. It's just really Mm -hmm. like a, like it's for me, you know, like just it's, it it also... (laughs) What it really does for me is it establishes that these are fictional films. These are children's movies or sci-fi fantasy, whatever you want to call it. Like for, for with this, it's like, oh, these things can be anything you want. Headcanon can be whatever you feel it to be. You know, yeah. like that's the point of headcanon is that like nobody can tell you it's wrong. It could huh. be flawed in certain ways, but like 
if I choose to adopt this into my brain, it doesn't mean anything. It just means like exactly if I started if I started talking about it concretely with another Star Wars fan, it was like, oh, the end of Star Wars is so crazy that her name was Solana, and someone would be like, what? Like right, that wouldn't just, work, obviously. That's the way that you frame that. You can still have that conversation by right. you know, talking about the juxtaposition between two things, two things that actually do exist, two pieces of written fiction. Um, yeah. They both exist in the world, in the real world that we that you and I inhabit. We could talk about those things and. That is cool. There's, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, both things can exist. The only bearing that it actually has on anything else is what could happen in the future. What canonically will be referenced from these movies and future Star Wars properties? And that's hard to say because as of now, they don't have anything planned, at least not concretely, that occurs after the Star Wars saga, right? We've got stuff that's still happening in between the original saga and the First Order era, and we have stuff that's going to be happening thousands of years in the future with the High Republic. So at the moment, it doesn't mean anything, even in the and even in the universe that we're talking about. So yeah, it's yeah. it's just cool that they're both here, and we can enjoy bits and pieces and form whatever headcanon we want, and have cool conversations with people that have um, you know taken the time to actually read a script. <laughs> Well, um, if you've stuck with us for this long, we really appreciate it, and uh, you deserve your own medal of honor after 40 years of service yeah for 40 years of service which is the length of time this podcast took you can find notes on this and there will be some uh slash episodes slash 36 yeah and if uh if there are any other star wars scripts that you'd like to talk about i'd be interested in, in hearing what those might be like i think it would be cool to maybe do a similar episode to this down the line for that original Star Wars script, that first version yeah. that, that has been made available. Um, and then maybe even the the comic adaptation of that. I don't know if uh, if you have a copy of it. I have two copies, actually. The I found a nice set of the, the loose leaf, um, you know, just the loose issues of all of those in good condition. And then I did find a hardback copy at uh, like a Books A Million, like one of the small outlet versions of Books A Million. It was just sitting there on the shelf. It had been out of print for years, but I picked it up for 10 bucks. So something like this, I think, would be cool again down the line. Uh, obviously, if other scripts emerge, that would be kind of cool. I'm still waiting for like the 50 some scripts that were produced for Star Wars Underworld to leak somewhere online. I'm just waiting <laughs> for that day. Yeah, no, I, I, this this is a cool one. It's different because it's, we don't have to watch something. Um, it's but it's also not like a book. We can compare it with things that that also exist. And yeah, it's a very nice uh, Venn diagram to look at. Yeah. Um, tweet at us at Bantha Fodder FM if you want to hear us review another script or anything. Uh, otherwise, we'll be we'll be back in probably a week or so for uh, another you know chunk of the the Mandalorian uh, season two analysis. It's been a really good season so far, so I'm eager to see how it plays out. It's gonna be great. We'll see you next time. Till next time. Bye bye. headphones down just a little bit so you don't get as much leak.